Hello and welcome to Baka Banter, a podcast about all things anime and otaku culture. My name is Ravi and I'm joined by the lad who's down bad for Santa, Yanatan. Do you want to say hi, Yanni? We are actually recording this on the literal date of Christmas. The date <laughs> so, that Christ was born. <laughs> a true Bacaventer Christmas recording. <laughs> that part doesn't matter. And I promise it's not because we hate our families. I think you are already back from your family Christmas because your partner has to work already on the 26th. For me, we delayed everything a day because my sister's partner is only getting in tonight. So we thought, why not just record on the holiday itself? Ravi's got his full Santa suit on yeah. <laughs> during recording. Only on the top half. <laughs> I can't see the bottom half, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> Some nice candy cane there for you, Daddy. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Please leave that in. I really thought that everything was done on Christmas Eve for you. I didn't know that you guys haven't opened your gifts or anything yet. Yeah, I mean, well, for context, my family is Jewish, so like all of the festivities that we do are because we like the christmas holiday season and we've just implemented them so on christmas eve is kind of our big tradition where we have a nice dinner where everybody in my family and now a few partners included makes a new completely new recipe and so we have like a full dinner of like all these different things to taste so that's like kind of the main thing and we did do that on the 24th on the 25th of the morning we usually all open presents together and then that that's kind of it we just kind of chill for the day so we just delayed that part of it until until tomorrow Anything you want to say about your Christmas? What do I want to say about Christmas? Uh, we literally just spent an hour and a half talking about this, I feel like, before we started recording. We had an eventful Christmas. I went home to my partner's family and her cousins, uh, who graciously hosted us outside of Chicago. Uh, I literally just got back, like, maybe two hours ago, three hours ago. Uh, it was a lot of fun. There were a lot of people there. There must have been, like, 20 people in this household at one point, uh, like, six of her cousins, parents, aunts, uncles. It's like the classic Indian family where like everyone's an uncle, but you're like not actually sure if you're related. It was a ton of fun. I sliced my finger off. That was not fun. My hand is <laughs> throbbing a little right now. Uh, making Christmas thing. dinner. Yeah. I mean, do you want me to lower the screen here? <laughs> it actually looked really painful. <laughs> yeah. I told you the story. It was gruesome. My hand bled for quite a while, but we're good now, I think. Hopefully, we will see. If this recording cuts out, it's because Robbie just passed out from blood loss. <laughs> uh, you'll have to call 911 because my partner is already asleep. Uh, honestly, though, it was uh, great. We had a Secret Santa as well. I don't know if you really like Secret Santas. I generally do not like Secret Santas, especially when you expression. don't know what the fuck to get for the other person. It was a secret Santa with like seven of her cousins. And I was like, mm, what do I get? And so this cousin is still in college. And luckily they had an Elfster wish list. So they had like a few items they wanted, which was like a sweater from Old Navy that was sold out. And I was like, first of all, she's a girl, but it links me to like the boys sweaters and only the large boys sweater. And I was like, I don't know if she meant to do that or if that is just the wrong link. But then it was also sold out in the one that was linked. And I was like, I, I'm not going to pick clothing for you it's when it's, I don't know what's happening here. Too risky. So instead, I bought her like she's in a dorm. And the other thing she linked was this dorm tray that you attach to the side of your bed, which if your bed is lofted, helps have some storage space on it. And I was like, this is interesting, but I also want to get you some interesting other stuff. The price limit was like $30. So I'm like, what What else could I buy 
for $10. So I bought some reusable boba straws and some like nice. pens. I just can't do Secret Santas, though. I'm so bad at that. Like, I want to know the person I'm buying a gift for. And guess who my partner had for Secret Santa? It was fucking me. And so I start unwrapping the gifts, and I'm like, wow, this is so personalized. Like, how does this person know me so well? And it was obviously it was fucking her. Perfect. <laughs> I know. But anyway, yeah, so we had a fun Secret Santa. So much good food. Uh, her family is all very, very nice. Stayed up like 3.30 every night playing FIFA. And then uh, I ended up just buying FIFA on a whim at 3.30 a.m. So now, Yanni, you're always welcome. I mean, you're already always welcome. But now you're more always welcome. You can come play FIFA. I'm, I'm thrilled about that. That used to be like my go-to hangout party pregame game in college and even a little bit in high school. So... I'll be over. I'll for sure be over. I haven't you played always in years, that, but I'll be over. over. <laughs> I'm just going to show up now. I never know if you're studying or not, but I'm just going to show up and you're going to take a break. The problem is, what does it face. matter, man? I can study. You can sit there and play FIFA. There's no problem with that. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> All right. Well, since we are releasing this right around the holidays, hopefully everybody listening uh, got a chance to spend some time with their family. Enjoy the holiday if you celebrate it uh, or just get a much needed rest. So happy holidays to everybody listening from us. And now we'll get into the anime news, which there is a lot of. I'm not really sure why. You First always one, say this. No, but there, there, maybe, am I just like writing down more stuff? Like I don't understand. Yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. Okay. Anyways, first piece of news: Demon Slayer's Hashira training arc is coming spring 2024. Don't care. And move of on. course, in classic Demon Slayer Ufotable fashion, it is releasing with the first episode as an hour special in theaters worldwide in February. And I will just say that Demon Slayer might fucking bait me into watching another season, but it will definitely not bait me <laughs> into going to the theater and watching a recap of the final episodes from the previous season and like a little bit of new content. I will not do that again. I will not be fucking tricked into We're doing not that doing again. this? No, I'm absolutely not doing it. I will probably also <laughs> not do it just on principle because I fucking hate this tactic that they're using. Yeah. Honestly, I haven't even seen the rest of Demon Slayer beyond the first three or four episodes of the previous season. And so it's surprising to me how not caught up I am on this show that everyone was so excited for initially. And then we very quickly dropped off on. Yeah, I think I said in the spring episode when it came out that I would not be doing another season and I can already feel myself doing it anyways. But just know that <laughs> mentally I'm checked out. <laughs> Okay, we also got uh, the first trailer for the Spy Family Code White movie, which honestly looks very good. There's a really amazing York cut in there, so I'm excited to see that. It actually already came out right after the trailer came out in Japan, since it is a Christmas movie. It's an anime original kind of standard shonen style release for a movie. I'm hoping that actually gets a release in the US at some point in the next few months, but haven't gotten any word on that. The marketing for this movie is fucking next level. Like, how many collaborations are they doing? They had, like, the Street Fighter collaboration recently, yeah. too, with Chun-Li. I was like, what is happening here? There's just, I mean, I think we talked about this in the last episode, but there's so much spy family in Japan, like, if you're just mm -hmm. walking around. So it is something that's popular there and very, very popular and successful here as well. Okay, we also got news that this novel called Trapezium is getting animated by Cloverworks as a movie that's coming out May 10th. Figured I'd mention that since we just did uh, our Cloverworks episode. Don't know anything about the book, so that's all I'm going to say about that. And then we also got an update on the adaptation for Ichiro Oda's one-shot called Monsters. 
That's coming to Netflix, I think a lot sooner than at least I was anticipating January 2024, so just next month. And I did not know this either. Apparently, it's a One Piece spinoff about Ryuma, who is a character that doesn't mean anything for me. But I did not know it was like tied in to One Piece at all. And apparently it is. It's basically something that predated One Piece, I think. He made this before. And so it's cool to see something that came before. I want to see what the difference in style is, the writing is. Speaking of One Piece. You you want me to skip in the news section to the other One Piece stuff? Fine. Really? (laughs) What? You didn't put them together? Which would make literal sense? No, I put them chronological. I don't like sort any of the shit. I see. No, we'll go in your order. I know. No, 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 no. no. I don't want to impinge on No, no, no. No, we're doing it now. The big news, the completely unexpected news, at least for me and I think a lot of other people, is that it was announced that One Piece is getting a remake being adapted by Studio Wit. What the fuck is this? I have... So many thoughts about this, but as the big One Piece fan, I want to hear from you first. I never in a million years would have ever thought that they would re-adapt One Piece while One Piece is still airing. That is fucking (laughs) wild to me. I woke up, I opened up Twitter, I was scrolling Twitter a little bit, and I saw like some random ad that was like, oh, One Piece remake, and I was like, oh, this must be like a fucking video game or something like that, right? (laughs) And then and then I I pop on the Discord for a second to see what's going on. And there were like four mentions being like, yo, dude, what do you think about this? And I was like, wait. No fucking way. Wit is re-adapting One Piece. And, okay, listen. This is like a fucking, like, five-brain play. Because all those people that have been holding off on watching One Piece, like yourself, like a whole bunch of other people that I know, are now finally going to be like, we get One Piece Brotherhood? When One Piece doesn't even need a brotherhood, just watch the fucking original and, like, skip the filler if you want. But if you're, again, watching One Piece for, like, the fun and the laughs, then, yeah, keep watching it. Is it going to be great? Yeah, probably. I mean, Wit's probably going to hit it out of the park, but do we need a One Piece remake? In my opinion, no. It is. I, I pretty much agree with you. I think it's a pretty interesting kind of uh, statement on the state of the anime industry right now that there are so many things and that could be adapted, like new originals and creative ideas that could come out. And instead, Wit is dedicating what will probably be a huge effort to remaking a show that already has an enormous adaptation and i think it also feels weird because i know specifically for wano they've actually at toei finally kind of amassed this like really talented team of animators doing like amazing sakuga work for some of the really important episodes and so it feels like okay one piece already has this like premiere adaptation why does it need it another one I think I mean, though it also just doesn't feel like the repertoire for wit, right? Like yeah. we have spent so much time talking about how wit is interested in making these small time shows. They passed off Attack on Titan to Mappa. That's the funniest they, part. <laughs> they've made all these originals. I see fucking George Wada, Anime NYC, and this guy sitting on this news. Like, bro, what? It is funny that they handed off the big franchises and AOT and Vinland Saga. And then they're like, hey, you know what is a, another really small franchise we could just take on? <laughs> yeah. So I don't really know how that's going to work. I do think there are some good reasons to remake One Piece. I mean, as you said, some people want to get into it, especially after the success of the live action or just because, you know, it's such a big kind of experience to be part of the anime community with. And, you know, the length of the manga or a thousand plus episodes is really daunting. I've actually thought about 
starting One Piece, I think I texted you this pretty recently. And so I've been looking into, you know, what do people think of things like One Piece? And what do people think of the early episodes? And like, what's the best way to consume it versus the, the anime adaptation or the manga? And the anime has a lot of pacing issues, not so much early on, but I think especially in post time skip stuff. So I think there are good reasons to make it accessible for people. And I think people potentially will really enjoy it. But yeah, it, it to me feels strange given how good of an adaptation or at least how good the animation quality of current One Piece is. It doesn't feel completely necessary. So here's the problem, right? When, when people talk about One Piece, they're mostly talking about the filler in the early episodes because the pacing of the early stuff is not that bad. Once you get hundreds of episodes in is when you start noticing the pacing is really slowing down. Like, you know, personally, again, maybe I didn't notice this as much. I was always interested in watching anime at that point and still for the experience of watching it. That's why I don't really care about watching filler. I actually enjoy spending more time with the characters, goofing off, doing these funny things. And the interludes between major arcs is where I find One Piece to be the most fun. There, there's so much fun to be had in these breaks, these respites between like major battles. And so I enjoyed watching a lot of that filler. If people are talking about remaking One Piece for the slow pacing of it, and then you're talking about post-time skip, post-timeskip is over 500 episodes into One Piece. That is so far they away might not that even choosing get to remake <laughs> it yeah. is literally nonsensical. Yeah, I, I agree. I mean, I think this will still probably end up being a good gateway for people. Hopefully it's very good. I mean, it's going to make Wit so much money. I'm interested to see how this develops. One thing that really concerned me, and I really hope that like Oda doesn't allow this or it's just like misdirection or people are reading too much into it. But I don't know if you saw in the in the Wit announcement, they very vaguely said something about like groundbreaking visual technology and like using that to help in this remake. And then people were like, wait a minute. You know what Wit also did? If you remember, they put out that really fucking garbage short with Netflix that used AI backgrounds that everybody fucking hated. And so everybody was like, wait, are they hinting at the fact they're they're going to use like some form of AI to help or do part of the One Piece remake? And I, there's a whole conversation to be had about that. I really fucking hope that that is just like not true or not the case and that Oda would like not let that happen with One Piece. That really worries me. I really hope that that is like completely just you know, people trying to read too much into that. Yeah, I unfortunately think that AI is definitely getting integrated into the anime space more and more. I mean, I don't know if you have on the news the recent announcement that the localization for... Ancient Megas Bride? Yeah, Ancient Megas' Bride is also going to be done by AI, so it's yeah. released on the same time as the Japanese release. Yeah, so I also had that in the news. Might as well mention it now. It's basically exactly what you said. The uh, Ancient Megas Bride manga was on hiatus for a bit. It's coming back, and they're doing the simul pubs translated with AI. There was a lot of outrage about that, especially from translators and localizers who will now not be able to work on it. I think it is worth mentioning that the like physical translation of it is still being done with translators and still getting printed the same way other manga is. So you can still read Ancient Megas Bride in other ways and like support it without necessarily supporting this this is just for the simul pubs but yeah people were also justifiably really angry about that and it does feel like it's it's coming and that that wave of technology is going to get integrated in all of a bunch of different ways i mean the, the problem is 
you know, we talk about protesting in certain ways and using our money to protest, right? At the end of the day, if if one piece comes out and yeah, it has AI technology as a part of it, how many people do you think are actually going to boycott it for? I that? know. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> right. And, and the same thing is like, again, if your favorite manga is Ancient Magus' Bride and it's released simulpub, right? If you want to get involved in the discussion, I'm sure there's a lot of people that are going to read it immediately after the release with an AI localizer. And so it's it's frustrating that, again, you're sacrificing something by protesting in a way that removes you from the community or, or prevents you from enjoying the same experience. And, and that is sad that, that we now have to be faced with this division to actually enjoy the content that we came here and we love. Yeah. And it makes you feel powerless because, you know, even if you do boycott it, the odds that something will change drastically if the product is still making money is hard to actually see happening. So I don't know. It's a little depressing. That's a conversation for a different day. But uh, yeah, it it, it it does seem like these kind of things are happening. Okay, let me run through the rest of the news or else we're going to be here fucking forever. We got the first preview for Blue Box. The anime is being done by Telecom Animation Film. I know it's a manga that people really like. Seems like a really cute sports rom-com blend. So I know we're both super excited for that, I think, coming out next year. We got two second trailers that we had already seen the first trailers for, uh, which were for the new Haikyuu movie, Battle at the Garbage Dump, and Dandadan, which is coming out next year, being done at Science Saru. Excited for this. I don't think there's really anything else to say. I, mean, I still think that Dandadan's trailer was fucking amazing. Like it One of the best great. trailers in terms of sound design I have ever seen. Uh, we also got a first trailer for Kaiju number eight, which I think we are both also excited for. I've heard the stories like not the best, but the visuals, the soundtrack, the vibe look great. So hopefully at least we'll be kind of visually enjoyable as a thing to watch next year. Character designs look really good for that. They do look good. Yeah, I really like them. Let's see. What else? Uh, oh, yeah. Other big news that came out the same day, basically, as the One Piece news, which I thought was going to be like the dominant news of the day, but that just got kind of overshadowed. Um, Chainsaw Man is getting a sequel, which is a movie about Reza. No other info on that. It's still being done by Studio Mappa. Seems like this was not officially announced again, but there are are looking to be very big staff changes. People have just deduced because Nakayama, who was the director for season one, a lot of the other kind of key staff members are working on other projects. So it is kind of hypothesized that they might not be coming back. Again, we'll talk about the official staff changes if those do actually happen when we get it. But I kind of suspected that this sequel, The Chance of Mine, would get adapted as a movie because if you've read the manga, the arc that they're adapting kind of fits perfectly paced into a movie. And then they would probably have enough material to just finish off the first part of Chainsaw Man with, you know, 12 or 13 episodes or whatever. So I'm still really, really excited for that. I'm very excited to see what these staff changes are and what direction they go with it and if it'll be different or not. Even though I know we've talked about this a lot and we both enjoyed Chainsaw Man's first season a lot. You know, what's really frustrating me for Chainsaw Man is that the manga community keeps gaslighting me into thinking that I'm not caught up with the anime because (laughs) every time I go on any Twitter, people are always posting shit about the future of the manga, talking about this next movie, like, oh, best girl time. And I'm like, have I met this character before? Am I not caught up? (laughs) No. Everyone just keeps talking about Chainsaw Man having read the manga about things so far ahead that it's like spoilers are just free territory now. 
And, and and I had this problem with JJK, and this is another instance of it. Like, what yeah. the fuck is happening right now? It, it is very reminiscent of what's happening with JJK, and it does feel like regard for spoilers on social media has just gone out the window completely, and I don't know why. Like, I don't feel like we used to be animals like this. <laughs> yeah. And it's again, it's the same thing with JJK. Like, I'm like, am I am I caught up? Like, am I not caught up? <laughs> People keep posting fucking panels of, of the fucking character from JJK Zero. And I'm like, he's Can not there stop? yet. <laughs> he's not there. Like, am, am I missing something? Did I miss an episode? What is happening? <laughs> yeah, it's really bad. I completely agree. Uh, okay, last few pieces of news. Code Geass. Rosé of the Recapture got a new project key visual. Seemingly, it's four acts with a movie premiere in theaters in May 2024. Code Geass does not feel like a franchise that needed to be revived. <laughs> I know they already revived it with like the movie that came out a few years ago that I have on my list that I want to see and have not seen yet, but I did not feel like this needed to be <laughs> revived. It was fine and done as it is. Um, we talk about Code Geass as having one of the best endings of all time. And I know there are people that definitely believe that, which is why, like, if the anime community is saying you have the best ending of all time, that doesn't mean you need to make more content. Maybe leave it as the ending. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm sure we'll eventually catch up and, I guess, try to see this when it comes out. But yeah. why? It's, I think it's a spinoff, at least, which I'm more open to than, like, any kind of sequel. But I, I mean, know, if feel, the character designs are the same, I'm going to be like, what the fuck is happening? <laughs> Because I know people already like joke about Slenderman with this shit, but it's been a long time and I've tried to put aside the Code Geass character designs and them coming back is going to give me war flashbacks out here. I hope they are the same, just a troll. God. <laughs> um, okay, we got the premiere date for Great Pretender, Razbluto. We talked about this because you saw the first episode of Anime NYC and it does seem like potentially it'll be a movie. I don't even know if they confirmed that, but it is coming out in theaters. So it's some kind of special, I think. Seems like the interesting thing about this is actually the North American release is January 9th and the Japanese release is February 24th. So for once, it's somehow coming first to not Japan. And I definitely did like eight double takes when I looked at those dates because I was like, <laughs> is this real? But I think it actually is. I don't know what the That's strategy is there, but I guess we'll get to see it first. I mean, for a show that prides itself on being so international, and then, and then again, we have heralded because of the fact that it's so international. That is an interesting move. Why didn't they just simul-release it everywhere at that point? Money. Sure. Okay. I, I just think, like, <laughs> the opening dates are nice because then they could have, like, premiere events that the staff and things can go to, yeah. and, you know, it'll be big like yeah, that. I guess. But when they released fine. it at Anime NYC again, <laughs> we talked about how stupid some of the... In my opinion, sorry, if there's anybody who was there <laughs> who enjoyed these questions... I was like, these questions are so fucking dumb when they're like, you have the president of production IG and wit there answering your questions. And you're like, is this going to be released as a movie or a show? Bro, no one cares. Just wait for the answer. It'll come later. <laughs> uh, fun with audience questions at conventions. What else can we say? Uh, okay. Final two things. Uh, the Kizumonogatari compilation film that I still don't know why it exists is actually, in fact, coming to North American theaters in 2024, and I will be there. <laughs> Even though I think it's stupid, I will fucking be there because I will probably not get another chance to watch any part of these trilogy of films in a movie theater, so I'll do it. I'll be there. Can I watch that not having watched any other Monogatari? So it is not like the most recommended place to start 
in terms of the light novel order, you, in theory, should watch the 15 episodes of Bakemonogatari first. But according to Nisio Essen himself, it is a perfectly reasonable place to start the franchise. So you can, because the author himself said so. You can disagree with the author. I don't, I don't have a strong disagreement. Like I could see why it works and it doesn't make too much of a difference to just flip the two. But I think it works a little bit better seeing it after Bucket, personally. But so I, I gotta come with it. you for this or no? Are you gonna watch like fifteen episodes before this comes out in a few Do months? Do I have to? It's a compilation movie. No, no, oh, no, no. you mean, I, you mean yeah. watching Bucket before? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you just said it doesn't matter. Okay. So then, yeah, you're gonna come. <laughs> oh yeah. All right. He's inviting right, that, me on a date on air, guys. To watch Monogatari. That's like the best date of all time. I sent you I sent you a, a gif, gif, whatever you want to say it, that I was like, is this real? Can you confirm for me on <laughs> air? Is that real? Is that from the show? Um, Robbie sent me something lewd that seemed like it was from Monogatari. And if you see something lewd that you think is from Monogatari, it's probably real. That's, that's my so you, That was like a neither confirm nor deny. Like you didn't give me an answer there. I, I'm going to confirm it. I'm going to oh, confirm. Oh, <laughs> God, really? Like, no wonder you got to call the fucking pedophile online. <laughs> I'm not giving any context for that. <laughs> okay, last piece of news for real this time. Uh, the third season of Konosuba, we got the first trailer for. It's coming April 2024. I didn't actually watch the full trailer. I hope it's good. <laughs> it's it, happened it today. It does look good. It does look good. It still looks funny. Okay, good. I'm excited good, good. for it. I'm excited for that too, if you say so. Okay, we're done with the news. Before we get into the rest of the mailbag episode, we did go to see before the holiday break the new Miyazaki Studio Ghibli movie. The Boy and the Hare and How Do You Live, whatever you want to call it. And this movie is, I think, divisive amongst people who either love it or think it's hot garbage. And as you might expect, it is divisive amongst us. <laughs> so why don't you tell me what you thought of Boy and the Heron? Oh, man. So first of all, I was not prepared to do a full movie review of The Boy and the Heron. No, you don't have to do I a full like... movie review. Just give me your, give me your first impression. I feel Say like this anything. is one of those shows where if I like don't give a proper analysis for why I felt like this, I'm just going to get roasted about We're it. We're not giving a proper analysis. If you want a proper analysis, come to the fucking Discord and we'll write it out for you later. This is just, uh, you know, little little pre-episode banter, you know? I... Did not enjoy The Boy and the Heron as much as I enjoyed other Miyazaki movies. And I and I know that you've said it was divisive. I still feel like that's a hot take because I have seen so many people, even within our own community, uh, especially the Discord community, who have loved this movie. And there are people that have seen it like multiple times, like in multiple meaning like beyond like four times. And so I went in with really high expectations and I don't think it was that that changed my experience of the movie. But this felt like one of the Miyazaki movies where a lot of the narrative threads just didn't come together. His surrealism is on another level within this movie. I understand Miyazaki is a children's director. He, he is known for creating content that basically fits inside the vision that children have, the perspective of a child. And so many of us other movies, again, don't really play into having strong narrative threads that all tie together. But this one, I felt like there were a lot of ideas that were kind of just dropped there that were never picked up by the end, that that everything just didn't come together. And that's why when I came out of the theater, I not only had more questions than when I came in with, which sometimes I love within media, but this time there were just too many thoughts that just went on tangents. Yeah, I actually agree with that. And 
I think that is what made me like the movie a lot more interestingly than it seems like you did. And I definitely feel like it needs to be said up front that I feel like this is Miyazaki's least accessible movie for like general audiences. A lot of his movies I find are, as you said, very fantastical and whimsical. There's really funny little guys, really endearing characters. There's a very clear narrative or some fantasy aspect, and you can easily latch onto those. And I always have a good time with Miyazaki movies for, for the most part. But I feel like the Miyazaki movies, even if they have very clear themes and narrative and stuff like that, they're usually not, at least for the bulk of his filmography, movies that I think about for a long time. And I feel like this movie is definitely an exception to that, where because it sets out so many different narrative threads, as you said, and it doesn't really linearly resolve all of those, I was left actually thinking about the movie and what Miyazaki was trying to say or what he was trying to struggle with about his legacy, about what it means to create art, about all of these kind of different ideas that he plops in throughout the movie. I was left actually thinking and engaging with those, which is something that I don't find myself doing often with his films. So for that part of it, I think I really enjoyed engaging with that kind of more pensive, surrealist aspect of the movie. I will also say that the only part really that disappointed me is that it felt like the movie was almost split into two halves, which I think kind of goes with what you were saying, that the first half felt like what I actually wanted the whole movie to be like, which is very pensive, very slow, setting out these kind of clear ideas. And then I feel like he actually kind of chickened out of making the whole movie like that. And then the second half kind of reverted to a more classical kind of fantasy story, which still had some really good parts of it, but it was a little more traditional Ghibli. And so I felt like those two things did not mesh super well together i think the movie still left me with enough that i enjoyed it and that i definitely want to see it again but i wish he had committed to the first half of the movie I, I feel like if he had committed to the first half of the movie it wouldn't be a miyazaki movie though right like yeah that's also you, you say traditional like ghibli right but traditionally miyazaki movies have those fantasy elements because again it is like experiencing life through the eyes of a child there, there's so much fantasy there that is unexplained we were talking as soon as this movie finished and I was I was talking to y'all um, and another friend who came with us to the movie about how this is different and why I disliked this movie more than something like Spirited Away, which I love. When we talked about, you know, our top few Miyazaki movies, like Nausicaa is up there for me, Howl's Moving Castle is up there for me, Spirited Away is up there. And why I don't like A Boy in the Heron, at the end of the day, it's because when I watch something like Spirited Away... I can follow what's going on and there are tangential events happening, but the main storyline is still getting resolved. And there's so many other elements that are there that you're like, okay, I can ignore this. It's not really relevant. But there are areas towards the resolution of the boy and the heron that just do not get panned out. There's a lot of discussion and, and interpretation to be had with what is creating and holding up this other fantasy world? The Who tower. is doing that? And like, <laughs> yeah. what is that person's role? What is going to happen when this other fantasy world ceases to exist? And so there, there are all of these questions that are just like in this milieu of the movie, but don't actually pan out by the end of it. And, you know, you talk about the fact that, yes, it could just be art for art's sake and people can be creating this. And it's nice to see like all of these ideas plastered on a mural and, and people can talk about it. But to a degree, I, I think it's also frustrating that people are okay with all of these ideas left open when there's no clear evidence that Miyazaki 
was thinking about making all of these themes as opposed to just like leaving them open. Yeah, I mean, that I can't really speak to enough. I know Miyazaki's done a lot of interviews. There's a lot of Ghibli media out there. There are people who literally just only study like academically Studio Ghibli. And I'm sure they know a lot more about the context of which Miyazaki's making this movie and what he said about it. So I don't really want to speak to that without doing any like kind of proper background reading of it. But I, I don't think any of your complaints in general are things I disagree with or are even unfair of the movie. I think they're probably critiques that a lot of people share, and I think they're totally reasonable. I just think, again, at baseline, this movie made me think a lot more than a normal Miyazaki movie does. And for that reason, I felt like I was able to engage with it more. And I have been left since I watched it still thinking about a lot of different parts of it, which I think was a fun experience to have. And I will say, like you said, that the second half, you know, it wouldn't be a Miyazaki movie if he just made the first half. And my counterpoint to that is that The Wind Rises, which was his most recent movie, is also very, very different from like what a traditional Miyazaki movie is like. Like It obviously has the flying element, the anti-war element, like those are kind of staple themes for him. But it was kind of like a period piece drama, which you wouldn't really associate Miyazaki with. So I think if anything, I do kind of have to respect that even in his old age, and he's going to keep making movies until he probably fucking dies while he's making one, unfortunately. <laughs> he's actually tr trying seemingly to make some kind of different movie with these last two films than what the rest of his career has been. And I can kind of appreciate the the ballsiness of wanting to, to do something different and like evolve even after kind of the successful career that he's had because he could just keep making fucking Ponyo again. I'm sorry, I don't like Ponyo. <laughs> like he could just make, take the Little Mermaid and Ghibli-fy it and just give you that on a platter. I I'm really like reducing Ponyo a lot here and I'm sorry to anybody that likes it. I think there are other things we could talk about with that movie, but I feel like he's definitely trying to do something different and I think I can appreciate that evolution in a creator this I, I late into his career. I can appreciate it. I mean, it's nice that he's <laughs> potentially like changing. I just, well, it's not that I don't like it. It's like, I don't even know how much that's true. Because again, like this, this recent movie did have all of those same elements that Spirited Away had. It literally felt like Spirited Away, but just a slightly different fantasy world. And so that's why when people talk about how revolutionary this movie was and how there are so many new themes and things, I, I don't really agree with that. Like, I think a lot of the themes still existed in prior movies. Like we once again find this strong anti-war element of like post-nuclear bomb Japan. And we see a lot of the same like natural eco-conservatism themes. And so it was just frustrating for me that people were like, oh man, this is a revolutionary Miyazaki movie where yes, the animation is revolutionary. The, the voice acting is incredible. The music is amazing. The, all the production elements are great, but the storyline at heart still feels like in some ways a, a Miyazaki movie to me, but in a lot of ways, not a great Miyazaki movie to me. What did you think about the themes? Did you actually feel like they were different from his previous movies? Well, so when I say like that he's trying to make different kinds of movies, I don't mean that there's nothing recognizable. Like, right, I talked about The Wind Rises. Yes, there's anti-war and there's flying in there. And if you're talking about this movie, like, yeah, he's made movies that are set in some kind of like post-war world or about the war. He's. It's not that everything in the movie thematically is completely different. It just feels like a very different kind of movie when you sit down and watch it in terms of packaging some of those themes or using a lot of the same themes and maybe introducing, you know, one different dimension to them and doing that in the context of something a little bit more pensive and surrealist. And that feels very different from like a fantasy adventure that we might be used to. Uh, so that's what I mean when it feels like he's making different yeah. movies. And in The Wind Rises, it was 
actually making things like a little bit more realistic and making them yeah. kind of more period PC. And so it feels like to me, at least he's trying to like branch out or say something slightly differently. Yeah, I, I think that Miyazaki's movies lie along a scale, right? There are some movies that are extremely childish in not a bad way childish in the sense that it just feels like a children's movie yeah. where like there isn't a strong plot there's these funny fantastical characters and that would be something like Ponyo or something like Totoro right like th those are movies that any age group can go and enjoy and have fun don't really have yeah. to think about that much and then on the other end of the spectrum you have something more like as you would say the wind rises or in this case the boy and the heron something that has more plot more character development more gruesome themes, stronger themes than something like Totoro or, or Ponyo. You could also include things like Mononoke on here or like yeah. Spirited Away on here. And so I, I don't feel like this breaks that model. I just feel like it lies along that gradation more towards the side of stronger themes, stronger symbolism. I don't know. I, I <laughs> still rated it relatively highly. I'd say it was probably like a, a seven for me because, again, the technological development of it, like the animation's fucking insane. Like so, there are some, there's, <laughs> I know you're going to talk about how I walked out of the theater <laughs> shitting on it and then still gave it a seven and you were losing your mind about it. No, it's just, th this, this, this happens. And it's, it's the funniest part about the fact about when we watch movies together is because we came out of this movie. This has happened in other movies before. And, very typically, the roles are exactly like this. Will Ravi be like, this was whack. Here are all these critiques I have. Here's the parts that I didn't like. And he'll just talk about the negative parts of the movie that he didn't like, even though there, of course, were some positive parts, right? I have the opposite where I will just talk about the things that I like about the movie. And so it sounds like in this conversation that I'm defending the movie. You are fucking attacking the movie. We have completely separate opinions. And then we both are like, yeah, that was a seven. <laughs> we just leave and go home. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you're saying that you, you like the movie because it was, like, interesting to have a conversation about it. And we've had a conversation now for 30 minutes about it. And so, like, I, I do find it entertaining, at least to me, to come out of a movie and be like, what was good about it and what was bad about it? And, like, critique those things equally. I just came out of that movie and I was really frustrated by, like, all the things left open. I wanted to talk about those. Yeah, it's and then, seven. you know, our, our other friend Patrick, who was there, was like, man, Robbie fucking hates this movie. And I'm like, oh, no, it's a seven. I said, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah we both gave it a seven i think you know you were saying it in alluding to our studio ghibli episode that it probably would not make your top five list of ghibli movies and i think in thinking about this movie i've also rethought about my ranking and i think it does probably sneak in at four or five but i would have to actually sit down and like try to rank them again i want somebody to eventually in a mailbag ask us to like redo the rankings that we like regret because i feel like we definitely have one <laughs> solicit mailbag questions this is in a year from now no one's gonna remember that i asked for this <laughs> someone's gonna write it down you think like no one has a fucking computer out here all right well that's probably enough point there to talk we could probably talk about this movie a lot more maybe we will at some point in a future i'm episode. sure we will once we sit on it let it marinate yeah but if you want to talk more about this movie there's so much to talk about uh you can come join our discord server and and do that there all right so on today's episode for the third year in a row we'll be having our annual baka banter mailbag we'll be answering your most burning questions about everything from the most recent opinion that yanni stole from reddit to how i keep <laughs> rationalizing my shitty taste in isekai at the end, we'll also spend some time reminiscing on our favorite and most infamous moments making the pod this past year. So let's get into it.
So, Yanni. You know, when I wrote this, I fully expected you to have your gifts by this point, but I guess you don't. No. But I was going to ask, what did Santa put inside your stocking last night? I have no, literally no idea. <laughs> what do you want? Tell me so I can what buy do I it want? I actually had a hard time putting together my wish list this year. So the way my family does it is that we you know, each put together a list and then you get one present for every person and you can just pick something from the list or you can go off list like it doesn't matter. Nobody's like really that pressed about it. And I had a kind of hard time putting together my list. The number one thing that always goes on there now is just manga. It's like, if you don't know what to get me, like here are like five series, just like pick from them and just get me more because I like that. So hopefully somebody got me some manga, but maybe everybody was like, that's too fucking boring and easy and we want to get you something else. Um, the one gift that I did get is not really a Christmas gift, but Honkai Impact III, my favorite video game, oh has, the <laughs> has these events where they'll like celebrate the release of a new art book that they put together. And actually, if you just like play through the event in the game, you can get an art book for free. And so I already got the first one. The second edition just came out and I actually shipped it here because I didn't know if it would ship by the time uh, we'd already got here for the holidays. And it actually came like a few days before we got here. So I have it sitting over there and I'm like very, very excited to take that home and open it. Is it actually like a full-size art book? Or yeah, is it yeah. just like a little... No, it's a full-size art book. It has like character designs and like scenery and like Holy level shit. designs, like all this kind of stuff. It's really cool. Yeah. That's super and cool. And you can like buy them later, but you know, if you're just playing and you're fucking addicted like me, then you just get it for free. <laughs> you know, when I was mulling about Secret Santa earlier, I think the other reason I don't like Secret Santas is because I'm one of the people that like, I, I like giving gifts. But I like giving gifts as surprises. I hate picking something off a list that someone has already created yeah. when I'm trying to buy you something. And then you open it and you're like, I knew I was going to get this. Like, it's something I expected. I, I don't like that part of gift giving. And so <laughs> I would I would like to have something more like we did for our Secret Santa when someone's like, here's my general taste. Buy something in accordance with that. Yeah, gift giving is hard. So I, I totally get that. But... That does actually remind me. I don't think you talked about this because it didn't come up somehow in the last episode. You did not mention the gift that I brought you back from Japan. Oh, you're right. It's now sitting on my shelf outside, actually. <laughs> so thank you, Yanni, actually, for getting me multiple things from Japan. The first thing is actually this beautiful sake carafe, which is now, again, sitting right outside. Uh, we went to a cocktail making class recently, and I also was like, yeah, my friend just bought me back a full fucking carafe of sake. Now we got to go buy sake and like make cocktails and like try interesting things. So that was super cool. You also bought me a few other things like the same stickers that our other friend had gone to Japan and <laughs> came back with the same store. same sticker store. And there's also a keychain. Actually, you didn't tell your keychain story either. No, the keychain story I told and I brought back Ravi one of the free run getting stuck in the mimic. And so now <laughs> I have both Asuka on my backpack and now I also have free run getting stuck in the chest on my backpack. It's great. Yeah, it's mad cute. But yeah, the, the main gift. Yeah, no problem. The, the main gift was definitely the sake set. And you love cooking. You love food. So it's kind of a no brainer yeah. thing we wanted to my partner. And I wanted to get you but it's funny because I was like, everybody expects I'm going to Japan. I'm just going to get this guy some fucking anime gift. And I was like, no, <laughs> I'm subverting expectations and we're going to get something else. I, I appreciate this a lot more than I think like, uh, you know, a random anime or manga yeah. gift. Uh, just because it's something like I, I like practical gifts. I'll, I'm going to use this and I'm going to use it often. Right. 
my partner opened it up and was putting it out there and was like, all right, now we got to go sake shopping. I don't know shit about sake. Uh, <laughs> well, you're going to learn. Next time, uh, next time I come over to play FIFA, I'll bring over a bottle. Oh, dude, we can get fucking trashed playing FIFA. <laughs> While you study it, I play FIFA. <laughs> All right, let's get into the mailbag. So this is now, amazingly, our third year doing this. I was just talking to my family before coming up to record this episode, and I actually can't believe that this is now, like, the third mailbag we're doing. That seems unbelievable, but here we are, episode 82. And if you haven't been with us for the past two episodes, we solicit questions from... Twitter, from friends, from now our Discord server. And actually, I think all these questions are from members of the community on Discord. So thank you guys so much for sending in your questions. I think this is going to be a pretty special mailbag for us getting to answer questions from people that we have now interacted with a lot more rather than just, you know, random people on the internet or our friends who we've paid a lot of money to send us a question. You know, actually, when I was thinking (laughs) about it, I also was thinking the same thing. I, I was like holy shit, this is the third year now that we're doing this, which sounds crazy. crazy to me. I, at my partner's family gathering, was talking about hobbies, and, and obviously the the podcast came up, and people were like, oh, how many episodes have you put out? And I'm like, holy shit, this is our 82nd episode. And when you say a number like 82, people are like, oh shit, you've been doing this for a while. Yeah. And so it, it clearly shows that, yeah, it, it feels like we have been doing this for a long time. And now that, again, at the end of the year, like people are reflecting on all the stuff they've done this past year, it's really nice how the podcast has evolved to the point that, yeah, we don't have to just ask my fucking group of college friends to be like, hey, man, what questions would you have if you had a question about anime? It's like people now in our community we'll actually just have ask questions, questions for us. Yeah. yeah. No, it's really great. Um, yeah, we'll reflect a little bit more on, I think, this and uh, other stuff that's happened this year uh, at the end of the episode. But anyways, we solicit questions. Uh, we've picked eight to answer here. Let's see if we get through all of them. All right. Question number one comes to us from Zat. Thank you for the question. And the question is, what are your thoughts about the prevalence of manga adaptations? Should there be more original works or just a diversification of anime adaptations in general? Uh, You want to go first? Sure. So this was an interesting question. This one made me think a lot about things we have said previously on the podcast and the context for those. I don't think there's a problem with manga adaptations at all. I think the problem, if you even want to call it that, is that the industry primarily adapts work within specific genres that they project are going to make them money. At the end of the day, we know this. We've talked so much about this. Anime is a business. And the content that production companies choose to adapt has to make money. And it means that if I fucked a refrigerator in another world with my smartphone in season four (laughs) gets greenlit instead of your favorite shoujo, then it means someone thought that they could make more money with that production. Now, that obviously doesn't take into account all of the nuances of anime production companies, etc. And it also does not mean that I'm happy with that outcome. I would absolutely love to see more diverse content adapted beyond light novel fantasy shonen. But the only way that's going to change is if we as a community can somehow show that we're willing to pay into that new content. How to do that, what the threshold is for production companies to finally realize the community wants other productions, and what other factors are influencing the decisions are beyond me. And and I would love to talk to an industry insider about that, and they would probably be able to answer that question better. 
And so maybe stay tuned for 2024 when we have a guest on that can potentially answer that question. I also want to touch on the fact that we very frequently say that we love studios like Wit and Cloverworks <laughs> to make more original content. Fuck Wit, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Fuck, fuck AI Wit, Wit man. Yeah. <laughs> and this question does raise an interesting point that maybe we should be asking for more interesting or diverse adaptations instead. And I think that is fair. In my opinion, there should be no inherent difference between an original and adapted work, but I think it's certainly true that original works very often don't tie up all of their narrative threads and stick the landing just because they haven't been through the revision and response process that light novels and manga have before they're adapted. Obviously, there are countless shitty adaptations, but the fact that there is source material that the community has already responded to allows writers and producers to react to that and respond and fix those shortcomings. And I think the, the best recent example of that is Attack on Titan. We talked about how Isayama even recognized there were problematic elements in the last chapter of Attack on Titan and God, changed the anime adaptation to respond to that. Gotta just really emphasize and spell out the non- anti-genocide aspect of Attack on Titan because the people are too dense to get it. <laughs> but this is like, this is what I'm talking about. Like, yes, I would love to see more original content, but that doesn't mean that I like original content more than manga adaptations. I just like it when the manga adaptations aren't just light novel or, you know, fantasy isekai shonen, battle shonen, whatever. The, the shit that keeps coming out. Like, I still love those genres. I still definitely want to see those genres. But when I talk about me liking isekai, I like the fucking creme de la creme of isekai. I don't even see the other 90% of the shit that's below the fucking ratings threshold that I have, which is it's like the, It's low. the iceberg beam. <laughs> exactly, right? Exactly. Like, I am watching maybe the fucking top 10% of isekai. And, and that's not because I'm a fucking isekai snob, which maybe I am. But like, that's because the rest of it is just so fucking inhumane that you're like, I I can't even watch this with fucking eyes out here. <laughs> so interestingly, I kind of structured my question similarly. I think this is a question that is basically asking about the anime industry at large. And so I think it's a pretty good place to start the mailbag. And as you said, think about some of the things we've said before on the podcast and try to kind of package those thoughts together. So at baseline, I completely agree. I don't think there's anything wrong with manga adaptations. And there are a lot of advantages to manga adaptations in and of themselves. You have established story material and character designs, drawings that can act as a foundation, and a good adaptation can build on what is in the manga by extending certain aspects or creatively interpreting the source using the full strengths of animation, anime as a medium. That's what really good adaptations do. And it is arguably potentially easier to do that if you have a baseline to work with. I think the problem is that, as you were saying, those things often don't end up happening. And the fact that the manga industry actually dictates a large part of the anime industry leads to this dynamic where anime often end up just being glorified advertisements for manga. I know you hate the go read the manga ending, but when that's what's prioritized, it means that you often get a kind of uninspired adaptations that are just hoping to boost manga sales. And then to make it even worse, B, you get an advertisement that in and of itself never gets finished because the main thing that was important was boosting the manga sales in the first place, right? So when you get that part, get into those kind of aspects of the process by which the industry works, then obviously, you know, manga adaptations are maybe not the most ideal thing if you're only thinking about anime as a medium. And I think that's where originals come into play because fundamentally, if you're doing something anime original, you 
have to have something to stand on its own in order to be deemed any kind of commercial success. That, of course, means that they are just riskier projects for studios. And so we actually get very few of them in modern anime because, as you mentioned, money is what drives everything. I really value originals because they tend to often reflect the anime that I love because they have to be these creative passion projects to even come out in the first place. I think that's actually true even if the original is good or not. So we've had examples on both ends of the spectrum in recent years, like Sunny Boy, I absolutely loved, but Wonder Egg Priority was fucking horrific and I still respect the hell out of Wonder Egg Priority, even though it's a fucking train wreck. So I think for me, it comes down to not preferring specifically anime adaptations of manga or light novels or anime originals, but preferring works in general to be ambitious and novel and maybe even fail at doing so is something that I'd like to see more than something that is boring and safe and just lives in mediocrity. I think, as you were saying also, there is really room for doing that within manga adaptations. And what I would also like to advocate for is just seeing potentially niche or genres, seeing more shoujo jose, those types of manga also getting adaptations and not just to focus on things like Isekai and things like Battle Shona. That is now blending into an entirely different conversation. But I think those two pieces of kind of talking about the industry and kind of talk about originals and what they offer are broadly where my thoughts lie on this. Yeah, I, I just, I don't think there's anything inherently different, like I was saying, between an original anime and something that came from a manga, right? Like, why do you think it is that that aspect of creativity that you like in originals is something that's still mostly confined to originals? So I don't think it's that it's mostly confined to originals. I think it, as you said, totally can happen with a good manga adaptation. And in that case, there really is no difference between the two for me. I think the problem is just that when the whole industry is driven by these manga adaptations, it is just much easier to do the lazy thing and do the uninspired thing, which is just, you know, not really care about taking creative risks with the adaptation of the source material, doing something that is very, very faithful to the original, doesn't take advantage of anime as a medium, and just trying to do that to get the product out as quickly as possible and boost the manga sales. And so I think it's more that manga adaptations give you the opportunity to even do that. And so because the industry is trying to churn out so many things and make the most money with those things and specifically care about the manga sales, then we get a lot of kind of the shitty modern anime that probably we don't really even end up watching but i think at a good level you can have of course manga adaptations that are pretty much identical to originals and at that point i don't think there is for me as a viewer necessarily a difference mm. <laughs> i asked that question and then you're like mm, interesting <laughs> well i don't disagree with you but again when we talk about and when we call out studios for doing amazing originals, but then not actually capitalizing on their originals, right? Again, Wit Studio being the example where they're like, oh man, we could do an original, but no, let's make a fucking One Piece remake. It's just frustrating. And, and for so, getting Great Pretender. <laughs> well, I mean, yeah, but also One Piece remake is a massive problem, yeah. right? Now, what are they going to do? Like, are going to turn the fucking map out here? No, 2025 to 2030 is just One Piece. Yeah, Probably exactly. longer than 2030. <laughs> and so... Yeah, it's frustrating to me that that 90% of fucking anime is disposable works that, that we could instead be working at making more creative. But again, people are making money because of the fact that people are watching this disposable shit. Yeah, I agree. 
Let's move on to question number two, which comes to us from Magical Girl underscore Katarina. And the question is, what's more important to you in an anime? Would you watch a subpar looking anime if the story is good or watch a beautiful anime even if the story is garbage? I'll let you start. I want to hear what you have to say. <laughs> Am I going to start for every one of these now? I, yeah, I, can st- work? I can start if you want me to. I'll start because you're excited. <laughs> I know that I've said this so many times before on the pod, but it depends for me. And I don't Boo. know. Do you, <laughs> do, you out think, do, you, do you think that I'm going to lean either way on this? I was fully expecting you to actually say that you care way more about story than animation, but. I could be. Clearly, I'm wrong. Really? <laughs> yeah. If that was true, why the fuck would I watch SAO? I'm not... Well, okay, so it's not that you can't enjoy both. But I'm just saying, if you had to pick between them, like this question is asking, I feel I like you're more of a story guy. You're not wrong. You're not <laughs> wrong. I, I am definitely more of a story guy. But when I say it depends, it, it really depends on how I'm feeling. I am super impressionable depending on how I feel in the exact moment that I'm deciding what to watch next. And sometimes it means that, you know, I'll definitely take beautiful trash over a worse looking masterpiece. Of course, animation quality is sometimes subjective, but this question has been very relevant for me recently as I've been trying to work up the courage to get through some of the older classics like Gundam and Legend of the Galactic Heroes and Space Battleship Yamato. Of course, the animation in these shows may have been revolutionary for its time, but if you saw some of the shit that I posted on our Discord server or even sent to you, where, like, the panning is, like, clunky panning, like, you're literally stopping and moving the frame every time, and it's, like, it's just one of those reasons these shows are so hard to watch today. It's because animation has improved so much. The fact that 30 or 40 years has made such massive changes in animation means that, you know, when you're comparing something like... I don't know, fucking Mushoku Tensei being a a great example of a show that looks beautiful where the plot is straight fucking garbage. And I don't know, we haven't like really gone over my opinions on the most recent Mushoku Tensei, but that shit is fucking, again, it's just inhumane. Like, how can you make people watch this shit? And after what season one was, how great that was to then have season two where they just went deep into all the (laughs) worst aspects of Mushoku Tensei. Like... I fucking love that show originally, gave it my anime of the year, and then now we come back and I'm like, okay, yes, will I continue watching this? Yes, because it's beautiful trash. But also, there's so many other shows that I would love to watch, but it's hard for me to get into them just because the animation is honestly difficult. And and so, as I said initially, it's a hard question to answer for me. It really depends. I do want to say that I lean more towards those shows that have you know strong plot and strong characters. But if I'm in the mood to just melt my brain, like, yeah, I will watch fucking Guilty Crown or SAO or Mushoku Tensei. They're just more likely to piss me off. It's very interesting how you broke that down by mood. And I think that makes a lot of sense, especially in the way that I've always heard you talk about anime. And... I broke this question down very differently. I didn't even conceive of breaking it down by mood, but I don't really watch stuff by mood. So I think that that totally makes sense. I think for me, in the past, I would have always said, yeah, story, characters, plot development, themes, always so much more important to me than the animation. I think if you'd asked me that in last year's mailbag or the year before, I would have probably pretty easily said that. I think it's interesting that this question comes up now because over the past year, I've just like leaned more and more into fucking being into Sakuga. 
Like, I am always fucking trying to read animation breakdowns from people that know a lot more than I do. Trying to actually learn and recognize not just names and styles of directors, but also just specific animators and, like, trying to identify cuts and, like, looking through cuts on Sakugaboru. And for me, that's been a really honestly rewarding way to engage in a different way with anime as a medium. And so I don't think I've, you know, completely swung over towards, you know, only caring about animation. I think there are people that that is their primary thing they look for story still matters a lot to me but i'm starting to i think value them a lot more equally and thinking about artistry kind of in conjunction with the story so it is interesting that this question comes up now to actually answer the question the way that i broke it down is i think i break it down by what ends of the spectrum are we talking about so if we're talking about the extremes you know like really really garbage plot really amazing animation or really really amazing story and really really bad animation then i think i'd much rather have the good story so to give an example oku that came out this year was a really really great story and it had a consistently fucking disappointing production but i still enjoyed it i still felt like i got something out of it i might read the manga for the better experience going forward but i feel like i still enjoyed it overall that being said no amount of incredible animation could save a really terrible story that i don't like cough cough undead on luck however <laughs> i said it you're saying this loudly bro <laughs> however i think if we're talking about anime more towards the middle of the spectrum then i think i could be convinced to prefer something where kind of both aspects are a baseline pretty good but the animation is better than the story i don't have like a perfect example the first thing that comes to mind is actually the second season of JJK. I don't think it's the best example, but we'll talk a lot more about this in the 2023 review coming out pretty soon. But I have definitely some storytelling complaints I have about JJK being kind of a derivative battle shonen or an expedited battle shonen. But I don't think I would improve a few of the story aspects that I don't like if it meant losing the sort of visual identity, the creative adaptation that we've gotten this season and so in that case i think i actually do just prefer what we have rather than kind of tweaking it a little bit in one direction i could probably try to generate better examples in this middle ground where i swing more towards the animation i could probably equally generate some where i swing towards the story so i think as you said it depends and it's case by case but i think with this question i think it is just apparent to me how much the sort of sakuga aspect has become more important to me over the years trying to showcase what i love about anime as a medium and story just still matters a lot. So I think it is hard to say. I mean, I think another example from this past year is Fire Hunter for you, where it's been God. a show that you have spent <laughs> a lot of time oh my watching. God. Why did you remind me of the Fire Hunter? <laughs> it's just another show that I think you were so excited for it. And you talked about how much of a passion project it was for uh, Oshi. And then now it just did not pan out in any way. Yeah, that's like a weird example because I think at first it was a very clear like, oh, the story is going somewhere interesting and the animation is bad. And so I would like prefer that. But then the story also like completely lost interest for me and the animation was still bad. <laughs> so it, like by the 12th episode, I was like, I'm not fucking doing this anymore. Yeah. But I think, yeah, my like initial impressions of it, which is what I talked to you about. I was like interested in still following along with it, even despite the clear production issues. I'm not watching season two. <laughs> I'm sorry, Mamaru. I'm not doing it. 
the other thing I was going to ask you is, you know, I've talked about sound design and voice acting as something like I pay attention to in yeah. anime quite a lot. Why do you think it is that Sakura is something that you've really latched onto? Like, why is this so interesting for you? That's a really good question. And I've never thought about like why it's appealing. I guess for me, it is like, it is the main thing you are watching on screen. And so for me, like deep diving into the technical aspects of like what people are doing and what those animation techniques are to purposely make something visually appealing has just like, is just really interesting to me. I think from like, a, how do you make something that looks good and is different from what everybody else is making in the industry. So I think it is like a interest in sort of artistry thing. I think in the same way that for you, there's a little bit more of like a concrete interest because you were thinking about, you know, trying out voice acting yourself. And so that probably got you interested in it. But I assume it is a similar thing where you are really interested in that process because it is like an interesting artistic sort of endeavor. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I grew up playing music. I'm very interested in music. I wish I had more time for it as a hobby, but now making this podcast is just... This That's this is this is my part time job. <laughs> this is my hobby now. Um, but yeah, again, I got interested in voice acting, and you know, I, I found it to be something that I was going to pursue as a hobby uh, before we started the podcast. So I spent a lot of time thinking about what makes things sound good in music, music theory. What makes things sound good, and how can those elements be applied to anime and and how can we create that new dimension within anime of how it sounds because that's not a component that's a clear component missing from manga all of that that sound that audio component yeah. and so i've spent a lot of time thinking about that and again i mean i think sakura is, is another component of anime yeah. or, because the animation is the thing that that we are watching that's bringing it to yeah. life um, and i think it's such a cool aspect of the art so I'm excited because hopefully you can tell me more about it at some point. I'll try my fucking best. Um, that that did like remind me of something I didn't mention about the boy and the heron, which is you know that cut of the that the fire cut. I think we're talking yeah. about the fire cut. Yeah. And as soon as I saw that, I was like, "That's Shinyo Hira," and I was like, "Nice, I'm I'm fucking I'm learning. I'm plugged in, guys. Character <laughs> development." Um, I did want to ask though, as like a very quick sort of correlate before we jump to the next question. Since you mentioned how much the auditory aspects are important to you when watching anime, that's kind of the thing that you latch onto. How do you value that compared to both the story and the animation? Like, can good voice acting and sound design and music like completely save a show for you? He can completely save? Probably not. I mean, the greatest example for that is actually Bell. Like, Bell <laughs> sounded fucking amazing true. Yeah. and and again like all the aspects of that the original soundtrack the voice acting the sound design all sounded amazing but the story was so fucking irredeemable that 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 could not save it in a lot of other more middle ground as you were talking about shows yeah it can definitely save it for me like a lot of the Sawano soundtracks, right? The shows there are sometimes mediocre. Not the best yeah. shows all the time. But you're still bumping it. <laughs> exactly. I, I think another great example for that, and, and I mentioned it one time, and I'm actually going to mention this later on for another question as well, but Guilty Crown. Guilty Crown, the original soundtrack is fucking amazing. Like, there, there are songs from Egoist on there. There are so many other, like, ambient that then change into, like, rock, that change into very emotional songs within that soundtrack. But the actual show was a fucking nuclear disaster for me. And so I still love that show. I still think very highly of that show. And, and yes, so there's a, a clear example of where the sound design and the soundtrack can save a show for me. 
not Fire Force. That also had amazing sound design, but I don't think it matters. <laughs> I did actually mention that within that show. Yeah. I think Tamaki single-handedly ruined that for me. Is that her yeah. name, Tamaki? Yeah, single-handedly ruined that shit for me. Um, I am actually very interested in continuing and watching it. I actually do want to see the connection it has to Soul Eater. That is really far down the list for me right I now. I will not be there, even though I watched <laughs> season two already. Okay, let's move on to question number three, which comes to us from Discord user, importantly, no O there. And the question is, Discord. has an anime ever changed your Discord, your personal behavior, views, or outlook on something in real life? I just made you go first twice, so uh, maybe I'll... I can just keep going. I will go yeah. first every time, Daddy. <laughs> I was going to say I'll take me from behind every time. <laughs> This is why we have the explicit tag. I was going to tap myself in, but you you seem raring to go. So I'm just going to let you do it. All right. I think this happens all the time for me. Like, I think this should be a pretty common effect in media that that reading or hearing or watching a story has a transformative effect on people. Honestly, I don't know why people I mean, you know, besides melting your brain, I don't know why people would watch or experience or interact with media otherwise if we didn't have some type of effect on us. And I mean, why shouldn't it? It's hard not to watch a character fall in love or endure hardship or explore a passion without also reflecting on your own relationships and trials and motivations. So many shows have changed my perspective in ways that I probably haven't even fully realized. There are many shows that I watch that I come back to a year or two later, or when you forced me to fucking update my mal, started thinking about a show and interacting with it again, and was like, wow, how have I integrated a lot of the things that show told me about or that I saw and didn't really realize in that moment and how I integrated it into my life? I think that three that I can name off the top of my head are Haikyuu, Wolf Children and Hori Mia. Haikyuu is one of those shows that falls strictly within sports anime and I think even more broadly within Battle Shonen, which a lot of sports anime do feel like. But why do people love sports anime? Why do people love Battle Shonen? It's because those shows make you feel inspired. They make you feel like you can fight, that you can continue on, that you can overcome hardships. And watching Haikyuu really inspired me in a way that it's inspired so many other people. Like I took up a new sport because of Haikyuu. I fell in love with volleyball. You talk about how your gym playlist is just all anime the fucking battle shonen music, right? It like it inspires us to work harder. That's because I'm and a weeb. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean that's definitely true. Again, when I'm preparing for this marathon I have coming up this coming year, and, and I'm like, holy shit, man, if Hinato were here and he was fucking working his ass off, like he could go the extra mile. Like there are so many ways that you think about, you know, shows like this that inspire you to live differently. I mean, Wolf Children forced me to reflect on my own childhood. It forced me to reflect on my relationship with my parents and their sacrifices as they were trying to raise me. I talked in my thesis. My thesis forward is about this. And Wolf Children, when I first watched that, and I've watched it like seven times your thesis forward was about wolf children. It it didn't have a quote for it or anything, but my did you did you mention the movie in it? I did not mention the movie okay, in it, okay. but but the the actual like acknowledgments I had was thanking my parents and my grandmother for their sacrifices, and a lot of that that conceptualization came from when I was thinking about wolf children. And I think there's a moment like maybe within college or like somewhere in your late twenties where you start to realize that your parents are getting older, and your relationship with them is definitely changing. You're more individual and you don't have to rely on them as much. 
And so that like process of coming of age is something that I thought a lot about after watching it. And it definitely changed my relationship with my family. And finally, Hori Mia. Like Hori Mia showed me, and I know this is cheesy, but it was very effective in showing me what I want in a relationship and like how a relationship should work and how it could be. And I think that a lot of romance shows serve, a lot of good romance shows serve that same role. They show you how good a relationship can be, how good it can be for two people to cause them to change and change in a synergistic way that makes each other better. And Hori Mia did that for me. And so there's so many shows that I could talk about with this question. But yeah, those are just three easy ones. So I think I took this question a little too literally. (laughs) (laughs) And the first thing that I wrote here is that I actually kind of struggled quite a bit trying to prep this question because... As anybody obviously knows, if you listen to this, anime is life. one of the biggest things in my life. It's the, it's the, it is life. It's the medium I primarily watch to experience stories. I've dedicated a lot of time to just thinking about it. For three years, we've been doing this part-time job making this <laughs> podcast. And so many of my favorite anime have made me think deeply about their themes or have characters that I resonated with or emotionally moved me in really interesting ways. But I think when I tried to think about this question, I was thinking about what you mentioned with Haikyuu and your love for volleyball or what you didn't mention that I thought you would because you've told this story on the podcast before is how Food Wars actually got you into cooking. That's another I was, great example. Yeah, I, I was thinking of like big life changes like that or big mindset shifts, even like you were talking about wolf children, like having this effect on you where you went and thought about your like family dynamics and really kind of sat with the themes of the movie and directly applied them to your life. And so when I tried to think of examples like that, I actually couldn't. <laughs> I don't know <laughs> if that's sad or not, but I actually could not at all. Man realizes he doesn't love anime. <laughs> so I think if I'm like forced to give an answer that is a little bit more kind of just, I'm making myself answer this question. I think I, I, I could say two different things. So I think anime as a whole has slowly shaped me over time as I've learned and engaged with a completely different culture. And I think some of my favorite shows are about niche hobbies like Shogi in March Comes in Like a Lion or Karuta and Chihiro I've consumed countless viewpoints about different historical events like Heike Monogatari or In This Corner of the World or just the general culture and food and traditions that are covered in our special episodes and that just kind of permeate the entire medium. These are aspects of a country that I never would have engaged with outside of anime. And I think that makes Japan just inherently a pretty special country for me compared to other places that I travel to or that I've learned about. There's never kind of this sort of consumption of the culture and thought about the production of that culture. And I think if I have to pick specific shows, I would probably just talk a little bit about the things that have resonated with me deeply that I don't feel like have enacted kind of wholesale change in my life the way Haikyuu or Food Wars have for you, but that I've clearly thought about for a long time. And for that, I have countless shows I could mention. I think the the one that's probably easiest to talk about is Atomic Galaxy. And that's probably the closest a show has come to shaping my personal views, kind of It's really reinforcing that idea that you have to make the most of the present and not dwell too much on past decisions, not knowing where those would end up anyways. You talked about your thesis forward. I actually literally wrote that idea into my thesis preface, quoting Tomihiko Morini and also worked that into the parting words ending of my dissertation and trying to tie that into what I actually study. So that's probably the best answer that I could have because... 
if I fucking wrote it into my PhD dissertation, then I guess it has to have shaped me in what I think about in some way. I mean, I think there are lots of examples like that that I certainly could pull from, whether it's optimism and community and Mars comes in like a lion or philosophical meanderings that I've thought a lot about in shows like Sunny Boy or like many Mamoroshi works or thinking about interpersonal relationships and self-improvement and stuff like Euphonium or stuff like Shiharafuru. I think there are lots of examples that I could pull from that have made me think about things that have resonated with me. But I think when I was thinking of this question, I had a moment where I was like, anime hasn't changed my life at all. Because, <laughs> you know, so many people talk about like, you know, what you said or like, you know, a place further than the universe made me really want to go travel and like try to not waste my youth or Eurocamp made me want to go camp. And I was like, fuck, I already traveled and I already camped. Like, <laughs> I think the question was very effective in getting us to both consider yeah. concretely about how anime has changed our lives. I think we don't necessarily have to watch anime the same way and have the same yeah. relationship with it. Right. Like for you, it seems like a lot of the anime you like are intimately tied into the hobbies that you have. You loved Awashi. You love Yuru Camp. Oh, you awesome love subject. A Place Further Universe, right? Those are shows that are adventurous or have something to do with your hobbies or existing passions. And so... When's that photography anime coming out? Oh, yeah. Probably That's exists. Actually fucking true. <laughs> it actually probably does exist. It's probably an isekai. And so... <laughs> Traveling to another world with my camera to defeat the demon lord. My man's telling me that Angel's Egg did not change your life, bro. Like The first time that I will self-insert into an Isek IMC is this motherfucker with his camera. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Question number four comes to us from Kill V Mame. And the question is, what are your anime pet peeves? I know Yanni hates when people don't have faces in long distance shots, but it could also be deeper than that. I'm gonna take this one as an exception because I got called out in the question. <laughs> it is in fact deeper than that. <laughs> but the reason I wanted to start out is actually because I feel like this question gives us an excuse to sort of rant about grievances with the anime industry and the production of anime. I know that speaking of ranting, I have ranted about, as was mentioned in the question, people not having faces in long distance shots in the past. And I want to just say up front that I think my stance on that has softened a little bit recently. I think it still does sometimes take me out of the scene when that happens. But I think with animation, I've sort of learned to accept that some things just don't need to be drawn. Photorealism, just a little bit overrated. This is so, fucking character development, guys. <laughs> this is me admitting that maybe I was a little wrong <laughs> in my previous hot take. <laughs> Undead on luck, still bad. Anyways. Whoa. <laughs> I swear to God, if you clip this and don't recognize that you said that and we get fucking dragged again, I am not going to feel sorry. Don't for you worry. I'm time. never going to clip anything about that show ever again. <laughs> so I think all of the issues that we have with the anime industry at large apply here. We kind of already talked about those in the first answer to the first question, at least a bit. We've talked about them a lot on the podcast. Things like lack of originality with the number of anime coming out, overworking of animators, leading to rush products that could look better, kind of et cetera. I think we could go down a list of things that are somehow related to a lot of the pet peeves that we have. I'm going to skip that discussion and instead focus on pet peeves within the show itself. I think that's more what the question is trying to get at. And I just have kind of a random mix of ones I thought about, so I'm just going to run through them. There are probably more than this, but I think I've gotten pretty accustomed to anime and its tropes over the years. So these things kind of come up when I force myself to think about them or just when I'm watching a show. But I don't know. I feel like I've been around here long enough that like the sort of standard things don't bother me as much, but let me run through the, uh, the things that, that really bother me. Okay. Have you number one, uh, incest? I don't like it. <laughs> what? 
I that's not a fuck- pet peeve, bro. That's like <laughs> fucking red flags. I, but I, I don't mean like straight up incest, but just like, you know, hinting or comedic relief played into incest. For example, I cannot fucking stand yours, brother Yuri and spy family. I know it's played off as a joke, but like him genuinely like having this crush on his sister when he instead could be this interesting character that is a foil to Lloyd. That's fucking annoying. I don't like does it. Does he have to wait? I did not read his relationship as incestuous at all. Oh, yeah. I just, thought, fu- I just thought he was overprotective. No, he's a fucking siscon. You got to finish watching season two. <laughs> it's not great. Okay. All right. Um. Anyway, stuff like that, I just like really don't like. I think this can also extend to completely out of place fan service. You mentioned Tabaki and Fire Force. Maybe this is the part where you also wanted to mention her. Those kind of just completely inexcusable fan service where it just takes you out of the scene and it's completely unnecessary i don't like and yes even if there is fan service in monogatari it's hot there or i just overlook it because <laughs> everything else is good <laughs> you, some okay. people will take you <laughs> as not being ironic in that moment you have to fucking slash s that shit dude <laughs> pet peeve number two uh, pretty much, I'm sorry, any standard Isekai tropes you can think of. Oh, fuck overpower- you. <laughs> overpowered MC, harems, etc. The thing with this one is that I think it's pretty easily avoidable since I don't really watch Isekai other than the top few standouts. And those usually either are worth watching despite those or subvert them. Or I just am not oversaturated with these tropes because I don't engage with them that much. So it's kind of okay. So it's usually I mean, the problem is those those aren't just contained to isekai, right? Like these are traps that are frequently found within isekai that are like very common again within battle shonen or ecchi or just a whole bunch of other genres. It's true, and I also don't like them there, but it's more fun if I say isekai to tell you. (laughs) Fuck you. (laughs) Pet peeve number three: uh, characters like Bakugo and My Hero, who people for some reason seem to like, but are just always mad at everybody else and scream all the time. I, hate I haven't that. watched Black Clover, but Asta is also kind of supposedly at least like I, that at the beginning. I hate that, yeah. And yeah. that always really fucking bothers me. I, to this day, do not understand why anybody likes Bakugo because he's just a fucking asshole. And I don't, like, I've watched fucking five seasons of My Hero and I don't feel like there's any reasonable character development there. So I don't know why he's appealing to people, but anyways. Pet peeve number four. I feel like this is on your list. Dense main characters or miscommunication. I can handle, I think, somewhat, especially if I can see, like, okay, this is exaggerated, but at least, like, some version of it is justified, or I can see how the characters get there. But I think if it's taken to a completely unrealistic extreme, then that can really bother me in a series. That is and on finally, my list. I think my example is going to tilt you a little bit, but... Probably. <laughs> and my final pet peeve is really poorly integrated CGI, which I can understand the usage of. We've talked about it a lot on the podcast, but I think it symbolizes the problem with the anime industry is which it's not just about trying to ease the workload it is about just trying to take shortcuts to produce even more anime when if you just took the time to you know create the cgi better like stuff the studio or just done or integrate it better like ufotable has done or just hand draw things because you're giving people the time to have artistic freedom you could have a better uh, product so i think it, it annoys me even though i understand it more from just like a symbolic of the industry uh, standpoint all right that's my list there's probably more things i might agree with some of the things that you have there uh on your list but i mean there's definitely more things than even the stuff that i've listed it's just there there are a whole bunch of pet peeves that if we just sat here and talked about it it would take (laughs) fucking forever so i tried to narrow it down to a few this is in no particular order 
I, I will start off with the one that you've already talked about, the, the dense MC when it comes to love. And it's specifically love for me because I love romance shows. I love watching character development and the relationship progress that when you have a dense MC, it just makes it so fucking frustrating. And it, it's kind of at odds. And I have to compartmentalize this in a lot of isekai, because as you said, like the trope of harems and the trope of having like a strong male lead and all the other women swooning over him. And him not realizing it is such a common trope that I do compartmentalize and just kind of sequester that away. The most recent example that I wanted to talk about and why I said it's going to get you tilted is because my dress up darling did this for me. And I know that you don't like that example. (laughs) I don't like that example, but I'm not tilted at all because that's what I expect you to say because I've heard you say this before. Yeah, This is one where... It's not that the relationship needs to progress, but I would have preferred either they had a not love relationship where they were just into each other's hobbies or they had a strong relationship progression. But in the first season, there's so many moments where what was I what was the character's name? All I remember is Mary. Gojo. Oh, Gojo, right. Okay, the other Gojo, right? Yeah. Where where Gojo is literally in the most lewd fucking position with her. And is not recognizing it till like fucking 10 minutes later. And I'm like, bro. Okay, listen. This is not like the dense MC in love where she is like literally telling you that she loves you and you're just not recognizing it, which actually happens later, but he's sleeping, which I hate that trope too. (laughs) But this is one where like, dude, you are literally like four inches away from her fucking crotch. And then you only later realize that, oh, maybe this is like not a common situation that most people are in. Damn, you're underselling Gojo here. You don't think he could fucking bridge those four inches? (laughs) Dude, I... (laughs) I mean, she was sitting on his crotch at some point, and still nothing happened, so I don't know. (laughs) However, this is mostly a specific example of relationships that never progress. That is the larger pet peeve, that when you have any rom-com or romance or any type of relationship where either you end it with a go-read-the-manga ending... Or you just have no relationship progression where the characters clearly like each other. I fucking hate that with an anime. The second thing, I've also talked about this, which is killing off poorly developed characters for an emotional response. I hate the trope of just killing off a bunch of characters. The most recent example I can think of for this is Attack on Titan. Literally all of Attack on Titan did this thing where it would showcase a few characters and the most recent one being Levi Squad and specifically Petra. And you know that I fucking loved Petra for some reason. You're so stuck in like 2014 on this. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Hasn't gotten over it. I fucking loved Petra and they just immediately killed her off. And it was like... Listen, we haven't gotten a lot of development. I was excited for the development because Levi's squad seemed fucking cool and could have really played into Levi's development a lot more. And they just completely fucking obviated all of that background and were just like, nope, they're all dying. And so Attack on Titan did this repeatedly. I mean, outside of, of anime, obviously we talked about Game of Thrones. There's just so many other shows and media where you have a character and then the directors or writers just want us to have some emotional tinge as a result of that character dying. And so just don't even try to develop them and they just kill them off. And I fucking hate that. This one can also bother me if it's done poorly. I think I'm just much more open to it and tolerant of it in general than you are. And so less of these occurrences end up bothering me than I think they do for you. I have an absolute banger example to showcase the difference in which 
when it bothers me and when it doesn't, but it is like multiple massive spoilers for like completely different series. So I'm not even going to mention the series and I'm not going to give the banger example because it's going to ruin things for you and listeners across multiple media. So I will not do it. Have I seen them? I'm not going to say anything. (laughs) Okay. 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 Anyway, you do agree with me on this though. I agree with you. I agree with you overall, but I think I am just, my bar for it is much different than yours. Like I'm much more willing to accept character deaths than I think you are. Like I the see. Levi squad one does not bother me in the slightest. I oh don't my God. Fuck about I these people. It so much. But I think there are other examples in which, yes, it, it does bother me. Yeah. The, what is this? Fourth one? Third one? Anyway, third, third one, one, I think. The third one that I want to talk about is MCs with low self-esteem that have no character growth. And you talked about characters like Bakugo. This is a similar example, but the one that I picked for this is Zenitsu, right? Zenitsu oh, is a character where the the self-esteem is so low that his entire personality <laughs> is just screaming and crying all the time. And there's very little to no character growth as of yet. And and it's not like Demon Slayer is just a fucking like 12 episode first season. We have like fucking like 50 episodes equivalent out at this point. And Zenitsu is the same fucking character. And there's so many other examples within isekai outside of isekai where characters has low self-esteem and will just not get over it and i am like okay i'm willing to let you have some time to grow to develop as a character to come into your own sometimes it just doesn't happen and i fucking hate that yeah i totally agree with that one i can't believe i forgot to mention it (laughs) yeah (laughs) the the fourth example is inconsistent power scaling and and we haven't talked about this example yet because it's from the most recent season But I picked JJK as an example for this pet peeve of mine. JJK in the most recent season, and I'm not going to really spoil it for you, or you being listeners, because I think you're caught up on it, or even more so than I am. But there are some massive, massive fights in this most recent season, and there's a lot of characters that are revealed, that have new battles, which just throws the power scaling all over the place. There is one fight between... Okay, this is going to be a slight spoiler for JJK, <laughs> but I know that you've already seen it. There's the fight between Sukuna and that fucking like apparition, Mahanga or whatever it is. That is like oh, universe yeah. ending. Yeah. yeah. That is fucking universe ending, right? God, that fight looks so good. Sorry. Literally 10 minutes later, there's a fight between Hyuji and Mahito. Mahito should be completely outside of fucking Yuji's power level. There is no universe in which they're even close. And yet Yuji is still somehow able, even having no control over his powers, his cursed energy or whatever, to still hold his own. And that is so frustrating for me. Okay. (laughs) You just don't care about this one? No, I I can see where you're coming from with this one. I think... It's not the most important thing to me, so I feel like characterizing it as a pet peeve is like... It's just one of those things where you point out when you're watching it and you're like, what the fuck? Like, how did we get here? Yeah, I just think it doesn't end up mattering that much for me. It's kind of like how super detailed explanations for like everything in a plot used to be like super, super important to me. And I've just kind of like softened on some of that kind of stuff. And I feel like this is kind of falls into a similar realm. Like sometimes I notice it and I think there are probably some valid examples in JJK, but... Yeah, it's okay. I don't know. That's fine at the end of the day. Wow, this guy's just too <laughs> chill now. I'm just chill. Gets into Sakura, chills. 
The final one for me is is very related to the part of anime that I think a lot about, and this is generic music. I really hate the generic fucking MIDI fantasy music that they put in so many isekai. Yeah, and a good one. This is this is one where we have amazing composers, amazing soundtracks out there for anime, and it just completely changes the experience that you have and the relationship you have with the show when you have a good soundtrack. I mean, for you, this season, it sounds like Free Run soundtrack, which just got released, actually, True. is one that you've really been enjoying. And yeah. I agree. I mean, Evan Call did an amazing job on it. Kevin Penkin soundtracks. We, we've talked so much about this. Salwano soundtracks. We did a whole episode on composers. You should go listen exactly. to that. <laughs> exactly, exactly. And, and so there's very little excuse Besides just like not having a budget and, and really not wanting to put a lot of work into a soundtrack that, that I can say I'm okay with. And, and so when I watch like a shitty isekai and it's just literally you can hear it. It's like a fucking MIDI soundtrack that makes me so angry. And given how much of the experience is the auditory experience for me, I, that's just one major pet peeve I have a hard time getting over. I completely agree with that one. That's a great one. Uh, tangentially related to that, I actually read recently that uh, Yuki Hayashi got to film score the entire soundtrack for the upcoming Haikyuu movie, and I am really excited for that. <laughs> I'm really, really excited for that. I put that soundtrack as, like, number one for me, did I? Yeah, it's really good. Yeah, it's really fucking good. It's really, really fucking good, so I'm, I'm going to be absolutely jamming in the theater yeah. and maybe crying. <laughs> okay, that's it about pet peeves, right? Yeah, that is. All right. Question number five comes to us from BrokeBoy55. And the question is, what is the best anime with the worst cast? And what is the worst anime with the best cast? Am I going first this time? Yeah, do it. This is really, really hard for me because it is almost impossible for me to disentangle the two. Characters are a huge part of why I like a show. So to ask... Which great show has shit characters is just impossibly hard to answer for me. The closest I could get is two shows that I've already mentioned. Shows that had so much potential. Maybe I should have included this in pet peeves with the fucking potential problem I have. That is actually your biggest pet peeve. <laughs> wasted potential. <laughs> wasted potential. But I have talked about that ad nauseum. <laughs> it doesn't count anymore. <laughs> it's just a rule of the universe. <laughs> but... Two anime that I could pick that had the best anime with the worst cast. Number one was Guilty Crown. Guilty Crown was fucking amazing in so many ways. One of the best anime soundtracks I've ever heard. Some amazing animation. Great premise. Great world building. Interesting storyline with characters and a relationship that literally brought the entire show to shit for me. A few weaker examples of that would be something like Akame Got Kill, which is, again, so many amazing elements to it that the ending just absolutely fucking trashes. It's another example. Spoilers for Akame Got Kill. Where literally every fucking character dies. And you're just like, the show has so much potential. It could have been amazing, but the cast just dying off killed it for me. The second example was Bell. Bell has... So many amazing elements. Again, amazing soundtrack, great director, questionably great director at this point. <laughs> it, very interesting storyline. Yeah. I mean, very interesting storyline that, again, it seems like a progression on Summer Wars. But the characters 
just brought this movie straight into the ground because of all the thematic elements those characters represented, the actions that they took, the way that they literally were validating fucking child abuse. It was just fucking crazy. The worst anime with the best cast. I had a really hard time with this again because if it's a great cast, it's hard for me not to say it's a great anime. So this is a bit of a cop-out because I do love this show. <laughs> but High School DxD, man. <laughs> High School DxD yeah, decent answer, yeah. has a great cast, in my opinion, especially if you love Echi. Like, top-tier Echi cast. <laughs> well, I'm not going to say Prison School, because Prison School is, like, objectively a good show. <laughs> High School DxD is one of those shows where, like, we can debate whether it's a good show. But the characters are amazing. They're very tropey. Sure, they fall into the classic tropes of harem, but they are, like, the pinnacle of yeah. harem tropes. And so I forget that you watch this, which makes this so much more entertaining for me. But again, the anime, we can debate whether it's good or not. But the cast of it is like you've taken all of the elements of harem to refine them to the point that you have like one of the best harems in existence. And it's hard for me to say that I didn't love watching it and love the cast. That's a Tetsuro Araki masterclass right there. <laughs> so for me, best anime with worst cast is basically impossible to answer because as you said, great anime for me never really have like absolutely horrific casts. And usually what happens is that they just have a focus on you know plot or narrative or thematic content or animation. And then the specific characters or their progression and character development take a backseat and don't really drive my interest in the show. The kind of like weak examples I could think of are actually something like Attack on Titan, where we've talked about how the characters and their development are not really the biggest strength of Attack on Titan. And what is the strength of it is the world building, the mystery, the action, the themes, all that kind of stuff that we talked about in our deep dive of it. I don't think the Attack on Titan cast is bad by any means, but they just don't have like the character work that some other shows that I really like the characters for do. Another kind of class of examples are maybe more quote unquote like art house shows i kind of like cringe saying that but some shows like tatami galaxy you need to lean are... <laughs> into your fucking love dude <laughs> some shows like tatami galaxy or like maru penguin drum have what i think are great unique characters with really memorable designs but the ideas that they tackle are the things that stick with you rather than specifically having like a favorite character from those shows at least for me so those are kind of the weak examples i could think of for worst anime with best cast i actually have one and the answer is Fate Apocrypha. I don't know if I've ever talked about Fate Apocrypha on the podcast. This is but... not the one where they're like the fucking little chibi girls that are like kissing each other. No, 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 no. Please, that's that's Prisma Ilya. That is oh Prisma that, Ilya. That, that has right. the best cast of all time. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> but the reason that Fate Apocrypha stands out for me is. Because like most entries in the Fate franchise, it actually has an amazing ensemble cast of mages and servants. It has people like Jean d'Arc or Astolfo or Mordred, Kyrie and Saber, the rest of the red and black factions. The way this Holy Grail works is that there are just like two sides fighting against each other. They're incredibly compelling. They brought some of the best VAs in the industry to voice these characters like Maya Sakamoto, Sorry Hayami, Takahiro Sakurai. There's like all these big names, all these interesting characters. Even if you've never seen Fate Apocrypha, you've probably heard of Astolfo or of Mordred at the very least. The problem with all of Fate Apocrypha is that it takes this interesting cast and it says, what if that interesting cast got fucked and instead we focused on 
Sieg as our protagonist. Who the fuck is Sieg? He's just a nameless fucking homunculus who gets rescued by Astolfo at some point, gets involved in this Holy Grail war, and he's just the main character, except for he's the most fucking boring character in the entire fucking cast. He has no personality. He's a complete wet blanket. There's no personality that this motherfucker has, no interesting personality trait, and it's emphasized by the fact that Every single character in Fate Apocrypha would have been a way better protagonist than him, but none of them are the protagonist. He's the protagonist. Anyway, watching 24 hour, uh, episodes of that was really, really fucking painful. And actually, the cast is like really good, but they didn't really care about the cast at all. And instead, they were like, what if you cared about Seek? And the problem is that I didn't care about Seek at all. So. Damn, I'm glad I could experience that mold in real life. I honestly have never heard you talk about this show. So the fact that you chose this question to finally talk about it is hilarious. I don't know if anybody that's going to be listening to this has watched Fate Apocrypha or cares at all about Fate Apocrypha, but if you do, if you've seen it, if you care about it, uh, it's pretty ass and it's because of C. <laughs> uh, anyways, all right. Question number six comes to us from Kemi. And... The question is, you two talked extensively about endings in a previous mailbag. So what are some of your favorite first episodes, regardless of your final opinions on the show as a whole? Which shows had a particularly compelling episode one? I think it's a great question and a really nice companion to the question that we had on last year's mailbag. So why don't you take it away? Yeah, so contrary to what some people on the internet think of us, we actually do spend a lot of time thinking deeply about shows, not just the first episode. And so... I just wanted to start off by saying that the hook of a show is really important for me. In no particular order, some of the best first episodes I have ever seen come from shows that I usually end up loving. Attack on Titan is a show where the first episode literally broke the internet, changed so many people's lives by getting them into anime in a way that many other shows had never been able to do. That first episode, I think, changed the game when it came to how to start off a story and how to create a narrative thread that loops the entire length of a saga where it still comes back and people still talk about that first episode after having watched the final season. It is fucking crazy. Zombieland Saga is one of those shows where literally the first two minutes watching the show, you're like, holy fuck. You get absolutely baited into watching what you think is going to be an idol show. And you end up watching a girl get hit by a truck in like the first minute. And And it still ends up being an idol show. (laughs) It still ends up being an idol show, right? (laughs) Amazing cast, amazing voice acting. The first episode of this show really blew me away. One of my favorite shows of all time also has one of my favorite episodes of all time. And that is Black Lagoon. I love Black Lagoon. It is dark. It is gritty. has some of the best character development in all of anime. And that first episode really puts all of those themes into place by setting up Rock, who's the main character, and showing his immediate descent into the darker depths of society with the rest of the characters in Black Lagoon. When he meets Revy and when he meets the other members of his future squad, and he has to make that decision in the first episode about, do I continue on with this daily monotony of office life? 
Or do I get integrated into this seedy underbelly of society? And he chooses to go into the seedy underbelly of society. I mean, the choice is kind of made for him. But it, it starts off a path that is just one of the best renditions of how to do character development in all of anime for me. Steinsgate is one I think like everyone talks about when they talk about first episodes. Steinsgate's first episode, I, it's it, you know, I talk about how, yeah, it's not as good as fucking... ReZero, but Steinsgate <laughs> is still an amazing show, is objectively better than ReZero, just not for me. But the first episode got people hooked onto it, and people talk about like how the first half of Steinsgate is relatively slow. They still watched it because that first episode is so good. And similarly, another show where the first episode is just like, this is classic first episodes, is Death Note. People watch Death Note and are like, I'm hooked. I was hooked on Death Note up until a major character event, and I still have yet to finish Death Note, which is like one of the only shows I've done that for. But watching that first episode got me hooked in a way that very few episodes at that point of me watching anime had done. When I started watching this anime, and people talked about Death Note like it's the fucking best anime ever. And, and, And again, I was on the internet superficially at that point. I wasn't really plugged in to Reddit or Twitter, you know, other anime cultures. Um, and so I just heard about how good Death Note was. And when I watched that first episode, I was like, holy shit, like this is right. I'm into this. And the last example I have is one that I can confidently say the show did not pan out. But the first episode also broke many people's conceptions of anime. And that was Elfin Lead. Elfin Lead's first episode is so dark and gritty and gory and violent that people were like, holy shit, like this is this is what anime could be. People clipped that specific scene where I think her name's Lucy, but I could be wrong. I'm terrible with names, obviously, where she's breaking out of prison and just killing all of the guards. People didn't know this could be part of anime, this like darkness within the show that they thought was a children's genre, that this changed a lot of people's perceptions and and was one of the best first episodes, even if the show didn't pan out. So interestingly, I'm going to, I think, repeat a lot of the ones that you had because there's universally great episodes. And I agree with you about how important first episodes are. So I really like this question. And I think for me, great first episodes kind of go into two groups. And the first group is just recent seasonals that end up being forgettable or forgettable maybe is kind of mean, but just like aren't masterpiece material, but have really interesting concepts that make their first episodes stand out. And then those truly masterpiece first episodes that lay the groundwork for an entire series or an entire narrative. And so for that first group, the kind of immediate ones that come to mind for me are things like Zombieland Saga, which you mentioned, things like Your Boy Kongming, which came out last year, and also Zom 100, which just aired this year. Zombieland Saga, out of those, I actually still enjoy quite a bit. The first episode was really just kind of the shock of the twist and the setup, but it did develop into what is essentially just a heartfelt idol show with a little bit of mystery attached to it and Mamoru Miyano doing his thing. So I do still really enjoy that. The other two, I kind of just felt like didn't have too much to say beyond what was portrayed in the first episode in that initial premise, but I still really, really enjoyed that initial premise and they were standout first episodes because of that. For the second group, there are, I think, a lot of great kind of groundwork laying first episodes. You mentioned Steinsgate, but it is just such a perfect disorienting mystery hook that sets up the entire premise and, of course, has enormous payoff when those questions or what was disorienting in that first episode are actually answered towards the conclusion. 
I think episodes like Made in Abyss's first episode, Attack on Titan's first episode, Psychopaths' first episode are all kind of world building style first episodes where they're all great because you're just thrust into the dangers and the wonders of the abyss or the threat and the destruction caused by Titans or the society that spawns from this kind of overbearing technology. And having what is already a compelling narrative or a compelling idea, but introducing it in kind of a self-contained single episodes is just really effective and gives you a preview of everything else that the series is going to cover. So I like all of those. Uh, And then the last two that I wanted to mention are actually Fate Zero and Fate Strange Fic, which both at least came to mind for me as really effective ways of introducing a large cast of really interesting characters and setting up a central conflict where you're really looking forward to learning about all these different cast members and seeing them actually fight and seeing them actually interact. This is a little bit of a cop-out because these are like both double-length first episodes, but whatever, I don't care. We're not focusing on that. I think Fate in general has really interesting ensemble casts, and so it is hard to have an episode in which you effectively introduce the conflict and all the characters in such a way that you can't wait to just really see how the rest of those interactions play out. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree with you. All of those shows have fantastic first episodes. When... I was considering this question. There are also shows that I haven't yet seen that I've also heard are just amazing and and renowned for its episodes and specifically have not panned out, which this question was also getting at. Mm. Uh, Those two, and you have seen this and you'd probably confirm or deny, The Promised Neverland gets touted as having like one of the best (laughs) first episodes in all of anime and also To Your Eternity. Oh, I actually watched both of these. Um, So... Promised Neverland is interesting because the first episode is very good. The entire first season is quite good. The second season we know infamously is very bad. So if you're in it for the anime only experience, it does not pan out at all. If you're going to do the smart thing now, which is watch that first season and then switch to the manga, then I think it might still be a very effective first episode. And I don't know that everybody loved the entire continuation of Promised Neverland, but at least parts of it were still very enjoyable and had really good arcs within them and the anime clearly just did not cover any of those and just made a complete mess of it. So in that case, maybe it still holds up as like a really good first episode for at least a media experience. To Your Eternity, I did really like the first episode. I remember when that came out and it is one of those kind of like Psalm 100 where the first episode is contained and like has a very clear emotional core and a thematic storyline. So it's definitely one you can just go watch for that episode. I actually did not finish to your eternity. It's like the only show I've just never completed because I just got kind of bored with it. And then I was like a ton of episodes behind and I was like, you know what? I am not watching 20 something episodes of this just to catch up. It's not fucking happening. So it's not like exactly the show for me, but the first episode was pretty good. Yeah. Well, I'm watching Zom 100 right now, if you're interested, because we just talked about how yeah. when I take plane flights, I need to figure out something that's not maybe the best, but it's still decent. Enjoyable. And so I, I chose to watch Psalm 100 on the flight. And yeah, I'm enjoying it so far. I'm like three episodes in. The first episode is fucking amazing. That, that like monochrome to colored yeah. transition is one everyone talks about. So hilariously, I'm actually also watching Psalm 100 because you know how they delayed. What? No, so oh, I was right, caught up, but right, you know how yeah. they delayed the last three episodes? They just came yeah. out yesterday and I'm like right in between shows. So I'm just like, okay, I'm just going to finish off these last three episodes. So yeah. we are for once watching a show simultaneously. That'll be true once you start watching One Piece as well. <laughs> oh, God. You mean AI piece? <laughs> oh, fuck you. <laughs> All right. Question number seven, which is actually our last anime-related question, and it comes to us from 
hope, which I wanted to say as hopefully hiking, but I'm just not going to do that. <laughs> and the question is, if you can only watch one genre of anime for the rest of your life, which would it be and why? Do you even need to ask me that? Not really. Is it just Isekai? Do you have anything interesting to uh, say? I did not. <laughs> wow. How dare you? Uh, I didn't put Isekai. I, I specifically said adventure high fantasy. And, and maybe that's a little too specific. And maybe that's a little too specific. But adventure for sure. I love the adventure genre. The why of this is because of all of the elements that people love about adventure. You're exploring new worlds. You're, you're seeing new cultures and races of people. There's new ideas. And there's such a sense of wonder. There's such a sense of intrigue in exploring and seeing something that no one has ever seen before and trying to make sense of, of your position in this new world, in this new society, etc. That's why even outside of anime, I fucking love adventure movies, adventure shows, and especially when it's set within a high fantasy setting. People talk about the basic divide between nonfiction and fiction. And the way I always explain my love for fiction is saying, I use media as escapism. I try to use media to get out of my daily life and think about things that I don't otherwise get a chance to think about. And that's why I love fiction. That's why I love fantasy. And that applies here as well. So I actually struggled quite a bit with this question. This is probably the other question along with the viewpoints one that I really had a hard time with. Edgy. And it's because, <laughs> yeah, uh, done. Question over. No, uh, it's because genre definitions are so, you know, not really fixed. And there are like many genre tags you can place on multiple shows. So like, you know, if I pick fantasy, let's say, do I get, you know, things like Made in Abyss and Feared, but do I also get all of Isekai and like fantasy adjacent stuff like Battle Shonen? Like, I mean, I you don't have to watch it, bro. <laughs> it's just available to you. <laughs> so I think regardless, my strategy here, if I like actually had to do this in real life, is that I would pick the genre with what I perceive to be sort of the biggest diversity of shows within it, because I've never considered myself to be a person who really has like one favorite genre, since one of the things I think I like most about being an anime fan is trying to experience stories across a bunch of different genres. But to actually try to answer the question, if we're just going to go by Mal genre tags or something like that, and I pick the one that I think will piss you off the most, it will 100% be the avant-garde genre. <laughs> you know, when you went in and you were like, this is going to piss you off, and I was like, how could this piss me off? And yes, you're right. That kind of pissed me off. But I was going to say this. No, fuck you. I was going to say this even when you said something earlier about like Art Nouveau. What did you say earlier? <laughs> I just said Art House. Yeah, Art House. Oh my God, dude. <laughs> I, I respect you for being like one of the art for art kind of people, but that shit just does not do it for me. <laughs> um, anyway, the avant-garde pick would be mostly to troll, but I, you know, if I were to pick it, I have an actual real answer, don't worry. It would you know, kind of give me stuff like Evangelion and, you know, Satoshi Kon, Mamoru Oshii movies, like, it's, it, you know, it's not really the worst pick, but I think more seriously, I would probably go for Slice of Life because that actually gives me some of my more emotional favorites, stuff like, you know, Marshkins and Like a Lion or Chiafuru, and a lot of the anime that I turn to when I want to watch something comfy and heartwarming, you know, Eurocamp, Girls Last Tour, K-On. So I think Slice of Life gives me the diversity of having some drama attached to people's daily lives while kind of preserving the stuff that I go to that are my comfort shows and 
you know, if I can only watch anime ever again for one purpose, I guess comfort is like the main thing I'm going to try to get out of it. If it's not fucking avant-garde art house art nouveau bullshit. <laughs> I love how we're approaching the assignment very differently for like every question. Yeah. Where I'm like, yeah, man, I just love this genre. I'd love to see it for the rest of my life. And you're like, man. What if, if I, I was stranded only, on a desert if, island? Yeah, <laughs> if I had to pick this one and I don't like this half of the genre, but I like this half of the genre, what should I pick? <laughs> anyway it is what it is all right final question comes to us from luigi got big tits thank you wow, for the question. he said it thank you for the this question Mr. Brest. <laughs> what is the best non-anime manga related media you've seen or read this year books albums movies etc it didn't have to come out in 2023 it's just that you've seen or engaged with this year this could be a really long conversation so i'm gonna try to limit you to just give me a concise answer here. <laughs> I only put like four things on here. Oh, wow. Okay. <laughs> um, <laughs> in lieu of talking about non-anime related content on our <laughs> anime podcast for like an hour, there have been a few shows and movies and media that I've engaged with this past year that you know, this relates to our previous question of, you know, how have things changed your impressions about life or changed your perspective, etc. Every one of these has changed me in a very specific way over this past year. These are shows or movies or media that I've interacted with. And I have spent so much time thinking about them. I have tried to find communities where other people talk about them in a way that I, I really thought I only would for anime. So the first one of these is going to be a show that we're still watching right now. It's The Bear on Hulu. I think this is one of the best shows I've ever seen. It is truly, truly an incredible show in everything from direction to acting to plot. This is one of those shows that like hit me very, very deeply. I talked about how Food Wars changed me in a, in, in a strong way, got me really interested in food and cooking. And The Bear has definitely reignited that passion within me. But there's so many other elements that are explored very deeply, trauma and loss and family and community in a way that I just don't see as deeply portrayed in other media. Watching The Bear is a visceral experience. And, and have you seen it yet? I haven't seen it, but I wanted to mention my dad really likes it. And like since we got home, he's been nonstop talking about wanting to make eggs like in the bear <laughs> because he made them for himself and he realized they were fucking amazing and now i yeah. just make them for you so i'm gonna eat something from the bear before i watch it dude it is it is a show that you know should not be watched if you're stressed out when i when i talk about it being a visceral experience and having all of these elements of like trauma and community and loss and and, and food and it's like it made me really think about like what would it have been if I hadn't chosen medicine, if I hadn't gotten into cooking or something like that. There are just so many parts of this show that I fucking love that I, I can't do justice just talking about it like, like this. A second example of a show that has really maybe not changed me as much as The Bear has, but I've definitely thought a lot about is Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is an, another one of the best shows that I have ever seen. This is one that we just finished a couple months ago. It didn't obviously come out this year. It's been out for a while now. Um, the last season came out, and I love it. Again, everything from the direction to the acting to the plot to the way it integrates into another one of my favorite series, Breaking Bad, is just genuinely incredible. 
I had two bands on here, actually. So we had our Spotify wrapped, which I don't I don't know if we really talked about yet. Um, because I don't know if you looked at yours or told me what your like top artist was. I have Apple Music. I fucking hate <laughs> you so much. You know, I always think about why I never engage with you on Spotify, and then I have to actively be like, wait, he doesn't have Spotify. This is like the, this quality, is like the baby. iPhone. <laughs> Fuck you. This is you literally can't hear the difference. This is like the difference between iPhone and Android for me, where like if you got an Android, I, I would literally have to fucking disown you. Too bad. I have a partner who has an Android. And and you want to disown her. <laughs> no, I do not. Close, close, close. <laughs> Two bands that I, I spent so much time listening to this year in a year where I haven't had much time to engage with media, have not had all the time to listen to music as I have in past years. During the PhD, you can listen to whatever the fuck you want whenever you want. In medicine, unfortunately, when you're in the hospital, you, you can't be listening to music. You're like, you know, talking to people and, and that's interaction is a major part of medicine. And so I just can't listen to music at work anymore. It's just changed my life in very specific and not good ways. But Ripe and Melt are two bands that I have spent a lot of time listening to this year. We're definitely on my, on my top five for Spotify. These are bands who I now want to go see their shows. I now want to engage with and I want to follow. I want to see them rise. Melt is a small time band that doesn't do a lot of shows that really hasn't toured that much. Highly recommend their their song Sour Candy for people listening to this. It's just an amazing, funky rock song. So go listen to that if you're interested. I can co-sign on this because I started listening to right because of you. So It's mad fucking yeah. good. Great. The final thing I wanted to mention... You know, I talk and you've talked about how I just don't have that much time to do things anymore. And it's it's hard to find time even for the podcast this year. And hopefully, I think viewers hopefully have not noticed a drop in quality just because of how busy we've both been. You finishing your PhD and me getting back into clerkship year. Besides making the podcast and besides going to med school, the thing that I have watched and interacted with the most this past year has been critical role. I am so deeply invested in Dungeons and Dragons and this specific media that it literally takes up the vast majority of my time outside of studying. Where it has definitely detracted from my time watching anime, where I a lot of anime for me at this point is like you obviously need to be watching it. You need to focus on it to, yeah. to read the subtitles that, because obviously I don't understand Japanese, that I have to sit there and watch it. Whereas Critical Role is one of those things that I can play in the background and kind of listen to you and engage with whenever I'm looking up from studying. And I now want to DM more. I have bought literally all the books for D&D. I'm literally in a new D&D group in med school. And it's just, it's one of those things that, has become another passion of mine over the past year in a way that I never would have expected. And, and I mean, again, I, I've talked to you so much about this. I haven't really talked about this on the podcast because it's not anime related. Um, so I can finally really mention it here. Robbie was just like, I don't have enough time consuming hobbies. What if I had another time consuming hobby? <laughs> <laughs> I fucking love it, dude. Yeah. No, it sounds great. I gotta try it sometime. Yeah. So the way I want to frame this question is that Robbie always makes fun of me, and I think on the podcast too, for exclusively watching anime. And while it's true that most of what I watch is anime, I feel like this year 
was actually just excessively egregious in that direction. And this question made me realize that. I just made a lot less time for other media this year. And I think that's partially because it was a busy year, you know, with graduation, finishing the PhD, like traveling for, you know, three weeks in Japan and a few other trips. So hopefully I revert that a little bit next year. If I'm going through media types, I don't read much outside of stuff for work and manga anymore. It's sad. And for a long time, I've said I would change that. But I think I've just come to accept that that is not happening. But what I do always make time for, usually always make time for, is trying to catch at least, you know, five or six movies in theaters or even outside of theaters that are highly regarded in the year, maybe up for Oscars, but that I definitely want to prioritize seeing. And I just have not gotten around to doing that this year yet. Things like Oppenheimer, Killers of the Flower Moon, Asteroid City, Past Lives, Across the Spider-Verse, I am very ashamed to say are still on my list to get to this year, and I am just very, very behind on this year's list. That being said, I did watch a few throughout the year that I did enjoy. So one, I know this is a 2022 movie, but I watched it in the first few days of the year, so I'm just fucking counting it because I need everything that I can get here. Uh, And it's Glass Onion. I love both Knives Out and Glass Onion. I think Ryan Johnson did such a great job creating a mystery movie that was classic and engaging and then subverting that with a sequel that had a lot of satirical critique of capitalism and billionaires that I just really, really liked. I did actually make time to go see Barbie within all the hype, and I thought Barbie was a lot of fun. I think there are very valid critiques of it in the vein of it being relatively introductory, kind of superficial feminism, but I think I went into it not expecting something incredibly deep, but just trying to enjoy something that was effective at what it tried to do, and I had a really good time with it. I thought it was really enjoyable and funny. And the last one I think which was the most personal uh, was this movie called Return to Soul, which I don't know if a lot of people know about, but I know I have talked to you about actually. Um, And it's definitely the most obscure movie that I've mentioned so far, which is about an adoptee traveling to Korea to meet her birth parents. And I think the movie is really good in its own right. Uh, Has a little bit of surrealist elements as well, which I'm always into. But I think what was special about this movie for me is that I watched it with my partner who is herself an adoptee. And I think some of the conversations we had after watching that movie and the nuances of the portrayal of an adoptee struggling with their identity that are portrayed really, really well and really emotionally in the movie might be lost on people that, you know, don't regularly think about that kind of thing. And I think that kind of movie is sort of the pinnacle of what movies and media should be able to capture and transmit and kind of be very personally relatable and emotional and kind of let you engage in really interesting ways with the people that are important to you in your life. And so that was probably the most important, I think, movie-going experience of the year for me this year. And then otherwise, random media I enjoyed. Great British Bake Off. I fucking love Bake Off. And it's family (laughs) holiday tradition to watch that. So we're watching that right now. And so I have to mention that. Another one is Bo Burnham's special Inside. So I missed the train on this special in 2021. But it started with us playing the whole album on our trip to Iceland. And just how funny it was. And then once we got back, I actually finally sat down and just watched the special. And it really just does an amazing job at capturing kind of the sort of millennial humor and existentialism, especially in 2021 when COVID happened and all the isolationist aspects of that. So really, really interesting in general and funny and entertaining, but especially to look back on kind of two years later. Uh, And then finally, I watched way too much Abroad in Japan this year. (laughs) (laughs) I watched so much Abroad in Japan and so much Japan travel content just to get excited for the trip there. So feels like I should mention that as well. I mean, I think that was a huge part of your year. I was waiting for you to talk about all of the the Japanese 
that's not anime content that you've been watching this past year. So and much. It's interesting because I, I always assumed that you weren't the biggest fan of Abroad in Japan because we never really talked about it. You know, we talked about and, you know, we dunk on in our own specific way, things like Trash Taste. Yeah. But Abroad in Japan is very closely tied to that just because of how much the trio and Chris Broad hang out, interact, <laughs> collaborate, right? Yeah. And so I always assumed that, you know, Abroad in Japan fell into the, oh, I'm just not interested in this content. Yeah. So when you talked about it, I was like, holy shit, you're, no, I think, you're actually interested. I think Trash Taste just developed into something that is not what I was looking for, which was kind of critical anime content. And I just kind of ended up veering into that. Abroad in Japan is very different to me. And I still think sometimes it is like not the kind of deep dive travel content that I want, but I really like Chris. I really like the type of content he makes. And I think he's really good at kind of showing a foreigner's perspective of Japan and just kind of like doing fun stuff while maintaining pretty high quality videos. So I enjoy a lot of abroad in Japan. Nice. All right. That's it for the mailback questions. As is tradition, we want to do our year interview of the podcast, not of anime that happened in the year. Uh, so we will do these kind of rapid fire. The first one is most memorable moments while recording. I have a sense that we're probably going to have a similar moment. Go on. But I think my most memorable moment is your face when I said that I didn't like UFO. <laughs> and specifically that the character writing and drama in that show is not good. Because I think you thought I was joking. Because, you know, I, I do do that sometimes where I'm like, oh, man, I just didn't like the show that I obviously loved. And I didn't revert myself. I just kept going into it. And then I saw your face like slowly just come to the reality that, no, I actually didn't like this show. So I have this somewhere in my year interview, not actually for this specific question. I, I will say the hilarious part is that we had that whole infamous music episode where we disagreed on everything and specifically the complete disagreement on UFO. And then you were like, yeah, seven out of ten. <laughs> it's, it's one of those shows where I... I thought it was okay, but I didn't think it was good. And, and that could have been like a lot a, better for you. A, a six to seven is for me. And, and again, I specifically had qualms with the character writing. I, I really think that the main character is it Kumiko. What's her yeah. name? Yeah, I, I just I really think that Kumiko's character did not develop well. I didn't like the fact that she is a fly in the wall in her own narrative. It, it seems like a lot of the things around her just happen, and she doesn't take the step. To make things happen, which, I mean, could be part of her characterization. I feel like we argued about this. And also the relationship development, because Kumiko... You, you, and know, that, you know that this question was not recreate the most memorable moment on the podcast. <laughs> I, I'm doing it now. What's the what's the trumpet girl? Takina? Reina. Reina. Oh, oh, okay, Takina. No, you're thinking about licorice recoil. <laughs> yeah, yeah, Takina, basically. It's basically Takina. Uh, I, I forget what you said, Reina? Yeah. Yeah, I wish it was just a fucking Yuri. It was if it were Yuri, it would have been much better in my opinion. But <laughs> it's not. Point, second I point I don't necessarily disagree with, but naturally everything else I disagree with. I'm not rehashing this argument. <laughs> my most memorable moment while recording was actually, I think, all the material you created this year for the post-outro music special <laughs> endings, which if you don't listen to, sometimes Robbie throws in there. You just have to stick around until after the outro to listen to. Often they involve me singing like an idiot. And I think the most memorable one was me imitating Shakira because the Apothecary Diaries OP, <laughs> I felt like had a similar sounding intonation. And that clip is so tiny, but it's just immortalized for me because it has been shown and played for people over and over in my life who just 
genuinely think it is hilarious and it is very funny it is not a good Shakira impression but <laughs> I think that that really stuck in there as a memorable recording moment yeah I don't know why so many of our outros have been you singing I mean again because I think it's it's easy to clip but also because there aren't many times where we just leave the recording on while we're talking <laughs> Because if we did that, it would, would be definitely egregious at some yeah, points. Some things cannot be said on there. <laughs> All right. Question number two. Worst take on the podcast. Oh, okay. uh, maybe well, I'll, you, I know you're just going to say yeah, what I I'll said, go first. So. But I actually had two. So 1A for me was really the music episode, which was specifically Robbie's dislike of one of my favorite shows with some one of my favorite characters of all time <laughs> in Hibiki Euphonium. But 1B for me, which was just as fucking... Not as, but almost just as shocking to me was ReZero over Steinsgate in the White Fox episode. I even, that, <laughs> I contextualized that for you. You contextualize it, but it absolutely blew my brains out because I had heard you <laughs> again do the thing where you're critical of ReZero and I knew how much you liked Steinsgate and it just not did not even enter my imagination that this could be a possibility. <laughs> and then I, again, was just floored on air <laughs> i mean that, that's a very personal take for me because i i enjoy the genre so much and re-zero is one of just the 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 best shows in the genre of better for or worse i, I think that re-zero suffers in a lot of ways i i think that the characters are extremely annoying for me i think the relationships are sometimes very annoying for me i i think that the second season did some of the characters dirty is even the fucking character that you love the most whatever her name is i could not Echidna, right? Like, it, it just, it, it underdeveloped Echidna to the point where I was like, she is basically just a character that's there and How she's just you. interacting with fucking, I don't know Subaru? why tonight is, yeah. Why can I not remember <laughs> anything tonight? Uh, because it's Subaru? almost 2 a.m. <laughs> it is almost 2 a.m. where I am right now. Where she's just interacting with Subaru and I'm like, why, why does she not have more development? What is going on with this character? But I fucking still loved ReZero for all of the things it did well. Such an interesting world, such an interesting mechanic to be able to come back to life. And when you think of something like Steinsgate, Steinsgate is objectively better. Like, characters are better, the plot is better, the resolution is better. Everything about this show is fucking amazing. But the enjoyment factor just wasn't there as much as it was for something in my favorite genre. You have to now answer the question yourself. Or stake on the pod. Yeah. Uh, that Undead Unluck is a bad show. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, that's a fair take. Um, I think the one, dude, I don't know why. Like, do we need to like immortalize this music episode? Yes. Because for me, for me, it was that your line April explores trauma irresponsibly and lacks reality. <laughs> I disagree with that take so fucking hard that you cannot understand. Again, this has made me like. I think about like, am I getting gaslit about how what I think about your lie in April? Do I just not understand this? You just have different interpretations. <laughs> when you said that, I was like actively losing my mind. <laughs> if you haven't listened to the music episode, I don't know what's going to convince you to go listen to it if it's not. This I don't know. Like, I, I haven't listened to it again since I did. I edit it or you edit it. What I don't even it? remember. But I, I haven't listened to it again since then. And like, I, I have to go. To I have to go back and like. <laughs> ask myself does our mutual frustration actually make it through the recording i don't know <laughs> someone on discord will have to tell us but i've definitely listened to parts of it again because i've clipped that episode and i just try to like skip over the parts of where we, you talk about anything you formulated <laughs> <laughs> fuck you <laughs> all right question number three uh what is your favorite non-guest episode we do not include guests because that is 
one of the most fun parts of making the podcast. So we're trying to exclude what would be the obvious answer here. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, I, I, again, have to say the music episode <laughs> um, because, you know, it was super contentious. But I think that is my favorite part of making the pod <laughs> is when you and I don't agree on something and like have to explain why the fuck we don't agree on something. I find that very entertaining. I did give a second answer so that the music episode is not just every answer I'm giving. It was the the Mamoru Oishi episode because it finally forced me to watch Pat Labor. I still don't know how to say it. Pat Labor. Uh, and, and think deeply about the themes in his works. And and one of my favorite directors produces shows and movies that have themes that I identify with very strongly. And I just, I love them. I, I love Ghost in the Shell. I love Pat Labor. And so looking into his life, into the themes, into the history of those shows and watching them was just one of my favorite experiences of the past year. No Angel Zagger or Sayasura shout out. That's I actively ignored those. <laughs> Actually so, ignored those. You'll like the Arisa Yasser movie, I promise. Um, um, yeah, I've been meaning to watch that. <laughs> so what stands out to me, I think, this year when looking at non-guest episodes is that we really took on some much bigger projects, I would say, for our deep dives. So episodes like Haikyuu, Hunter Hunter, Attack on Titan are the ones that I think are the most memorable for me because they are large franchises with many seasons and episodes, complex themes, character development. And we really doubled down and made, you know, 2.5 to three hour episodes on all of these that I think, of course, there was so much more we could have talked about, but that I think I'm really happy with, despite, as you've been mentioning earlier, how busy our schedules have been. I think being able to pull off some of those bigger kind of deep dives was honestly a feat that, that we made it work somehow. And slaying the foundation for that fate episode it's happening oh, in 2024 I, I... <laughs> okay final question what's been your favorite part of making the podcast if we do not have the same answer for this i'll be surprised i mean you weren't even there for my answer for this so <laughs> i don't know how we could <laughs> i think we still have the same <laughs> spirit <laughs> of the answer <laughs> um my my favorite aspect this year has been the community we've developed. Like when we started the Discord this past year, when did we actually start it? Was it earlier this year? Yeah, it was earlier this it was year. Like February on, or was March our, of this year. On our right? anniversary in February. Yeah. yeah. So when we started the Discord, I was nervous about it. And I haven't said this on air, but I was nervous about it because I knew how busy we were going to get. Part of my reason for doing the the podcast is because I enjoy obviously talking about anime with you but it has become a a, a part-time job where I'm like this this takes up a whole bunch of our time and I'm very passionate about it and I still want to do it but I don't know if I can devote more time to also interacting with the community and that's why I was worried that I wouldn't be able to actually devote enough time to interact with the community sufficiently for us to do it and then we started it and it has become way more than I ever thought it would be. I love interacting with this community. It makes this podcast worth doing in a way that I didn't think would be my rationale for continuing to do this, right? I mean, there have been times where I was like, when I'm editing fucking the equivalent of multiple episodes at a conference at 3 a.m. in the morning, having like a presentation to do in three hours and me being like, man, I don't know if I can do this at this point for the Attack on Titan episode and still like pushing through and finally getting it done, even though our train is delayed and we're standing <laughs> on the platform at like 4 a.m. in the fucking morning. Like that's so memorable to me because one of the things motivating me to do it was the community this year. Seeing everyone at Anime NYC was definitely the highlight of the past year. Putting the faces to the names, actually having those experiences where one of the members of the Discord is walking with me through Artist Alley being like, 
man, this is weird. Like, this is surreal. <laughs> Calling you out, Discord user. But where I was like, dude, I'm a regular person. Like, I'm hanging out. I'm, I'm enjoying the thing that I'm passionate about. But, you know, enjoying it with other people and seeing those people in real life and, and, and again, like, interacting with them in a way that I never would have had the opportunity to had we not had this podcast has been the highlight of the entire year for me. Yeah, so the past two years, my answers were at first the guests that we were able to talk to, followed by in the second year, starting to interact more with listeners. And this year, as I said, I think we're both going to have the same answer, which is true. And it's an extension of listener interaction, which is that this is really the year in which we started fostering any kind of community. And I think making that Discord server for our second anniversary earlier this year was genuinely one of the best ideas we've ever had for the podcast. And I really can't emphasize enough how wholesome and uplifting our community has been since we started it. I think often what people don't think about if they don't podcast themselves is that it tends to be kind of lonely. As an indie podcaster, if you're not already known, you don't already have a following, you upload episodes and you just hope that somebody listens to them and you probably don't get that much feedback. And that dynamic completely changed this year where we actually have some kind of base of people that will regularly be excited for episode days and will post their reactions as soon as the episode goes up. And I don't know if people in general, and specifically members of the community, really understand how much that means to me and how much I'm sure it means to you as well. To like hear that people are like really looking forward to the episode coming out this week or that you know, they live in Europe and they're going to listen like right when it goes online at like 530 in the morning for us is like almost still hard for me to believe. Like it's still kind of has not, I think, like fully sunk in that there are people that like what we put out that much. And I think on top of those things, we've just really expanded the circle of people that we get to talk about anime with. And genuinely, you guys are some of the nicest group of listeners that I think we could have ever hoped for. It's made the entire process, as you mentioned, of creating this podcast so much more rewarding for the both of us. And so I think a, a big part of the answer to this question is just thanking the Discord community and hoping that you know it continues to grow with a lot more awesome people uh, next year. Yeah, I mean, there, there are opportunities that we have now that we just wouldn't have had. Like, I, I know the opinion that you're going to have. We have a general <laughs> sense of the opinions that we're going to have. But it's interesting talking about this with, and getting new perspectives from other people. It just makes it so much more rewarding that we can interact with other individuals who are listening to our content. I think one thing that I love is that we actually have quite a diverse group of watchers, I think, like people who've more recently started watching anime, people who are into very different genres or eras of anime content. Who and completely so, disagree with us on our taste. And which completely is highly disagree with us also, or disagree with each other. But what kind of brings that community together is that everybody is still really interested in the discourse and is actually just genuinely really nice to each other. Um, and I don't think that necessarily has to be the case. So I think we really lucked out uh, yeah. in the type of community that we've gotten, really. Yeah. All right, some final thank yous to wrap up this episode. First to our guests that we had on the podcast this year, Chef BK, Lindsay Loveridge, Sean Gann, and Roland Kelts. You guys were all fantastic and made for really memorable episodes. Thank you to the Discord server members. We just kind of gushed about that for a while, so that's all I'll say there. Thank you to the people that continue supporting us and making this what is a passion project, but really a second job, <laughs> as we've said multiple times. And really to anybody that you know even listened to a single episode, gave us any kind of feedback, uh, interacted with the content that we put out. Thank you so much. And hope everybody has a great start to 2024. This will come out a little bit before the new year. And, you know, we're going to try to make some more plans happen in the coming year. Hopefully try to get back out to some conventions. We'll see if our schedules uh, 
allow for that and keep bringing you kind of the deep dives, the first impressions, the the guests that, that we've been doing. And we'll see how next year goes. Anything else I you think- want to say to sign off for the year? No. I mean, happy holidays to everyone. Stay safe, stay healthy, enjoy time with your family and friends. I think coming into the new year and thinking about what we're going to do for the new year, I I do think that we're still going to keep trying and increasing our bar. And I think our expectations, even for ourselves, are continuing to grow. Thinking about some potentially recurring segments that we haven't had before. Thinking about historical series. Talking We've been about the wanting to do that for anime. so long. <laughs> exactly. Talking about yeah. you know a greater context for anime within Japan. Having on guests that can give us more insight, as we talked about, into productions. Getting on guests and making use of the connections that we've built over the past three years. I, I think so many of the things I just talked about are our favorite parts of making this podcast, and we definitely want to explore them more trying finally getting to other conventions besides anime nyc i mean otakon has been on our list for so long that being able to go there would be another dream yeah we'll see what we can do in the new year hopefully uh everything works out all right that's been it from us (laughs) that's been it hopefully it works out guys hopefully it works out (laughs) (laughs) that's been it from us for the end of the year mailbag episode next episode we are going to be kicking off the year with our anime movie guide so stay tuned for that to kick off 2024 please subscribe to the podcast anywhere you get your podcasts apple Podcasts, spotify uh, or anywhere else if you use either of those two services that i mentioned you can leave a rating and a review that really helps out uh, the show and then check out our website buckmanter.com follow us on twitter at buckmanter pod join our discord server which you know if we haven't made a good enough case for you to join it I don't know that we will make a better one than what is in this episode, but please do join that. There's a link pinned to our Twitter profile and also uh, right on the website. So you can easily join from there and come chat to us about anything that you're interested in, in hearing more about. That's been it from us. We've been the Bakamantra Laz and we'll catch you all in the next one. In the new year. In the new year. 